We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here, but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different, and this is one of our fun commentaries. This is September 2017's commentary track, uh, and this month, we got it just at the, in the nick of time, by the way, <laughs> getting this right before the month ends, um, but it works because it comes out... This track will be out before the release of a sequel to the movie we're talking, which is Blade Runner. Uh, this commentary track is focused on Blade Runner, the 1982 Ridley Scott classic. Uh, we are specifically talking about the final cut for anybody that's concerned, which which copy to uh, watch with in, in case you're following along with us or whatever. Uh, joining me to discuss Blade Runner tonight, we have, from Why So Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, he's seen things you people wouldn't believe. It's Brandon Peters. Hello. I got nothing new to say because I'm really excited to talk about Blade Runner. From the Milky Way Blues, he almost looks as bad as that skin job left on the sidewalk. It's Yancey Burns. That's right. Good evening, everybody. And from HHWLOD and the Taylor Network of Podcasts, he just woke up from a unicorn dream. It's Jim Dietz. You know what, Aaron? You burn twice as brightly, and you last half as long. And you've burned <laughs> so very brightly. <laughs> How are the three of you doing tonight? I'm terrific. Terrific. Tell them I'm eating. <laughs> well, good. I, I'm glad to have you guys here, of course. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this commentary track. We've been doing a lot of, you know, this does, Brandon, we did Bonnie and Clyde last month, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like a while, because I think we did that like the beginning of August, and we're doing it this at, the, at the end of September, so it's been like a big gap for commentary tracks, but here we are. We got this going uh, for Blade Runner, which I'm excited to talk about. Uh, I think I think we all are. I think we all have various thoughts about Blade Runner that we'll get into shortly, uh, but there's certainly plenty to discuss involving you know, from the the production to thematic ideas to theological ideas, perhaps, too. So uh, I think we should just get into this. For those that are not familiar, what we do here on the commentary tracks is uh, we're all in separate locations, but we all have the movie currently in our various players uh, paused. Um, so if you're going to follow along with us, you're going to watch Blade Runner with us and listen to our commentary track. First off, good on you, bonus points, but also get ready. Uh, we have it, the movie paused at five seconds in. What that looks like, if it's not for some reason at the exact same time as the, um, what's the logo? We just we just described it. What, lad, the lad, lad company. the lad, yes, the lad company logo. It's about there's a, like a tree that forms and like computer green. Um, about third of that, a third of that is filled on the screen. That's where five seconds is in the film. For those of you that are not, you're just listening to it because you want to listen. Who cares about watching the movie with it? Good on you, also because that's fun. We're gonna you know talk a storm about Blade Runner. You, you just sit back and enjoy it. But everybody else should get ready. Are you guys all ready? Oh, yeah. Roger. Okay, so I'm going to count down from three on the sound of go. You will all press play, and we'll just get going and talk about Blade Runner. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right. There's the tree. Oh, man. <laughs> um, right. Let's let's get some some initial uh, thoughts on the film out of the way here. Uh, where, where do you guys where, where do you guys hold Blade Runner? Do you, do you hold it as a favorite film? Is it a... Ridley Scott's masterpiece. What, what what do you say? Let's start with Jim. Jim, what what, do you, what are your thoughts on Blade Runner? It's probably one of my top twenty movies of all time. Uh, I saw it as a teenager in the movie theater, and uh, it blew my mind. And it was really weird. I saw it because I had a friend of mine who was really into the music of Vangelis. Actually, mm-hmm. he took me to it, and there really wasn't a whole lot of hype about this. I'd read an article in Starlog magazine about it, and that was about it. And then, of course, I wasn't prepared for what I saw, and it kind of blew my mind. And uh, I, it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. Probably one of my favorite Harrison Ford roles as well. Yancey, how about you? Well, I ha- I've had a, a nice, long, complicated relationship with, with Blade Runner. I was 
a kid when this movie came out. And so for me, I, I just expected it to be another Harrison Ford, uh, you know, adventure. Pi- adventure picture. It's obviously a much more adult picture. It's, it, you know, it's not something that was accessible to me as a little kid. So it probably wasn't until I was in my 20s uh, uh, that I started to appreciate that it was a brilliantly made film, obviously, because at that time I had really fallen in love with Alien, which I think is one of the best films of that genre ever. And, and I can appreciate, for a long time, I could appreciate it just as the film from that same filmmaker. But I never, I never really was able to emotionally get into it. And I honestly can say, by, by sheer coincidence, maybe a month ago, seeing it for must be the 10th time, I think I finally sort of got it. Where I really connected, <laughs> truly, I really connected with it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a great movie. I totally get it now. But it took me that long, I think, to get over this initial expectation of it's a Harrison Ford movie. It should be about Harrison Ford being cool and saving the day. And it's 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 such a pivot from that, you know. Um, I you know I don't know where I would rank it, but it's 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 a movie that I'm only now beginning to uh, understand and investigate. So it should be fun. Brandon, how about you? It's one of my probably five favorite movies of all time. Uh, I and it didn't start that way. I, I have to say, like, I started out like uh, like Yancey, where I was I was in high school when I, I first got to see it uh, because I uh, I had a media class and he had a my teacher had this like compilation of scenes from movies he liked or whatever and there was a scene from Blade Runner in there. And I kind of was like, huh, what is, it? you know, I've, I've always seen the, the box at the rental store, but never picked it up. No one really talked about it. And so I finally, after school, I went and got it and I watched it. And I said, well, it has really cool visuals, but I'm not sure I really get this. Because, you know, on the poster, it has Harrison Ford wielding a gun. And it looked like it was going to be a bit more action oriented than what, what I got. But I, I was like, okay, well. That was all right, I guess. And I then I would revisit it, and all of a sudden I, I would get it more. And you know, every time I see this movie, I I tend to get like something different out of it, or a different perspective, or you know, just some different feeling. And I love movies that do that for me. And I just yeah. And when I worked on uh, in Blu-rays and stuff, we we worked on the the original Blu-ray set, so I got to sit and watch it. Many times for work for pay, which was quite awesome. But yeah, it's one of my favorites ever. And so, I, it, yeah. So I want to pause for a second because we're about to see the shot. We there it is, the shot of the eye. Whose mm-hmm. eye is that? Whose eye is that? <laughs> is it one of the replicants coming to Earth to find their? Maker? I don't think it's anybody's it... eye. I think it's whoever is in that thing, right? Is it Rachel coming to life? Is it, is it Tyrell looking out from his giant uh, pyramid on the uh, giant hellscape there? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love that you're going with me on these questions. <laughs> like, you're just giving me more questions. I, was, I, just, I see this movie and I'm always like, huh, there's an eye there. Like, it's just more of like, I So my thoughts on this movie, I love exploring it as far as the themes go and what it's like saying through its visuals. Um, but I also love exploring the kind of practicality and the logic of the film, because I think they're both, they're very separate, but also, but both very interesting to kind of to, to, to talk about, which is why I think Blade Runner has become such a kind of landmark film, despite, you know, bombing initially and only gaining cult, you know, kind of like a cult following that moved it into kind of classic territory in the years to come. Uh, I didn't see Blade Runner until I think 
if I want, I want to say junior high. It was around the time when um, AFI was televising their lists. You remember that when like AFI would put up the uh-huh. list and they like televise them as specials. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And I start and I saw Blade Runner on one of them. It was probably like top sci-fi movies or top heroes or villains or something, something like that, and whatever one it was. And, oh, Brian and, James. Yep. Sorry. And I and I I, I just mm-hmm. saw like clips of Blade Runner and people talk about it. I hadn't heard of this movie before. Or, like, if I had it, you know, it hadn't been like, man, this is something I need to see. But I saw this clip of um, Harrison Ford hanging off a building. And I'm like, I need to see this movie immediately. And I rented it. And I watched it. And I'm like, okay, that was good. And so I think it's similar to to at least two of you guys, where it didn't, like, hit me right away as, like, this is a masterpiece. This This is it right here. And it was only until later on, as I kind of watched it more and more, that it kind of grew on me into becoming what I think is one of Ridley Scott's best films. Um... And one of the most kind of obviously inspirational for a lot of reasons, but just in as a kind of a sci-fi effort that plays into various into various genres as far as being sci-fi, being noir, being an existential drama. Like there's a lot going on here that I really appreciate. Um, that said, I want to posit a couple things as we kind of go through this. There's the obvious, was Harrison Ford a replicant or one? I don't need to go through that. I mean, we, we, we can get into it, that'll be fine, but that's not the main thing I want to think of. I have just other kind of logistical questions and just some opinions on some of the things going on here. One, Jim, you already mentioned that you think this is one of Harrison Ford's best roles. I'm, I am question this, because uh, I think mm-hmm. Harrison Ford's certainly good, but I want to know from you guys, do you think Harrison Ford's, like, good in this movie? I have an answer to this, but I just want to hear you guys. Yeah, I think he's good. I think um, it gets mistaken that he didn't like... I I think he had some problems on the set, but where he doesn't come good is when he had to go back and do that narration that he didn't want... That he tried to self-sabotage. But aside from that, I I think he's he's quite good. It's one of his more understated roles. I think that's what I appreciate about it, because usually he plays very broad. I mean, Indiana Jones and, and like, you know, the uh, the President Air Force One and things like that. This is a very subtle performance of his. And it's one where I he's, about it. He, he's not bigger than the movie. He, right. He's more observant. He's not back. larger than life. He's just as big as, as life. He does pull some classic Ford stuff, like when he goes there, to yeah, visit like Zora or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And, has any old... You know, of course, the Star Wars, but has any old sci-fi movies' effects held up as well as this? Like, I this looks better than a lot of today's CG. Even it's, it's amazing just, how it's that crazy that, that the idea of giant advertisements on buildings was so influential. Even Ghosts in the Shell, Ghosts in the Shell this year had that same. Even though in the real world oh, that yeah. never happened, like it's on the internet, it's not going to be giant on buildings. Well, even the original <laughs> Ghosts in the Shell anime was uh, very influenced by Blade Runner. Really interesting. Oh, yeah. You guys are talking about Harrison Ford. I think. My take on Harrison Ford in this is that that's the hardest thing for me to get over is that he is not foregrounded. He's the lead character, but I think very much as a factor of of Ridley Scott making the movie, he's not anywhere near as identifiable. You can't identify with him like you can with Sean Young or Rutger Hauer, who are not human. We can't really identify with Harrison Ford, even though we want to, because it's Harrison Ford because of the way he's framed in these sort of shots. It's that Ridley Scott is not doing anything to make us love him any more than we already do. And we can, I think we sort of realize that he's standing in for like a Bogart character in a, in a, in a film noir, but even then he's, he's not, he's the lead character, but his, he's so muted in this whole movie. You know, it's hard to judge his performance. Well, it's and, also, it's also part of the main theme, which I think the main question of this movie is what is it to be human? 
So you see a bunch of replicants with a lot of character and a lot of things, and then you have this, you know, understated, you know, Deckard who's struggling to figure it out. And which is what, which is why oh, I'm, that's interesting. I'm, which that's is what, interesting. It's similar to like we talked about this with T two Brandon, where like Linda Hamilton becomes more of a Terminator than the Terminator does in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, with this movie, that's why it doesn't concern me so much about Deckard being a replicant or not, because it's there's so much there's so many more interesting ideas going on here than you know a hard cold truth about what the nature of this guy is. Because yeah, like you're saying, the idea of think looking at looking at Deckard and seeing this kind of grizzled old guy that has like few emotions going on beyond kind of dialed down Harrison Ford charm versus Rutger Howard, Daryl Hannah, who are full of life. Yeah. I, I'm more curious about what it is for those people that I actually know to be replicants for sure. And how they're acting like human and so want to be human versus Harrison Ford, who regardless if he is or isn't a replicant, uh, again, this is the thing we'll get to probably. Um, he's, you know, presumably for all sense of purposes for most of the movie can be seen as a human. And you think, well, well, yeah, he's like, and humanity itself is like, what do we see in humanity? Which is, I guess one of the few things I'm interested in in 2049, how it portrays kind of the rest of the world, if it goes mm-hmm. into that, given that it has two hours and 45 minutes to do so, apparently. So, I mean... Right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Deckard I mean, is not nice to Sean Young at all in this. He's a jerk to Sean yeah. Young. He treats her like she doesn't even, he's not a real a, a being. Because he's, mad, he's mad at himself for it more so than he is her. Yeah. To, so you can see that he's not really a, a nice or heroic guy. It's just his job. Well, and it's on it, him like it is us that yeah. his job is not moral. You know, well, and well, like to keep himself sane and to keep himself like focused that it is a job, he has to keep Rachel at arm's length and keep her in his mind as not human, or true, else everything true. else he'll have to question everything else. His whole race on Detroit, you know what I mean? Like he true. has, he has to make he has to make that division between human and replicant in his own mind, or else he'll just go nuts. Or he won't. I mean, he won't. I mean, you know, the moral quandary there. I mean, is. Is, is cut and dried if you can keep them separated. But if you can't, if the gray area happens, if he starts to feel these feelings for Rachel, then his whole world is in question then. You know? Remind me to come back to the effects again, because that's a good point that I want to mm-hmm. get to before I you know miss it completely. But to wrap up the Harrison Ford performance-wise thing, why I asked this um, is because it always makes me curious. It, it, it makes me admire Ridley Scott more. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of how go- qual- how good of quality his films are overall in his oeuvre, he's a very smart man as far as what he does is putting into production in both you know design um, as well as you know the actors he involves. Because Harrison Ford at this point, yes, he's known for Indiana Jones and Han Solo. He's the most popular actor in the world probably in 81 around that time with the kind of performance he's giving and likability and charisma. And here Ridley Scott is thinking... I'm going to do this existential sci-fi movie that's unlike everything that's coming out right now, and I'm going to cast the most charismatic in the world guy in the world as a person that's unlike anything he's played so far. And you can see why Harrison Ford would jump on that, because Harrison Ford, he want, he likes a good challenge as an actor. Like, it, you know, it's... And he surely grew up watching Humphrey Bogart movies, which for sure. is something and, he would uh-huh. want to try. Yeah. And, and it's, no, you know, it's not unknown that Harrison Ford, not that he phones things in, but at the same time, He's a guy that likes to be excited about a project he's working on. You can kind of tell when he is more excited about movies, work he's working on, than, you know, some that are, he's not. He's certainly a consummate professional in that regard, but I think you know what I'm Maybe. saying. There's some that he's not exactly putting in, you know, the, the hardest effort in. Um, but that could also be, well, in this case, that could also just be the, the, the choices that Ridley Scott's using in the editing room. Oh, no, but, but, but I'm not, so I'm not saying that about this film. I am saying, no, I, I okay. do think I do think he's for sure wants to be involved in this and do the best job he can. Edward James yeah, yeah. is great also. We'll get back to that. Uh, yeah, but yeah. what I why I ask this is because I'm curious if, 
I'll be curious how he is in the next in the next movie. Uh, but also, I I think he's good here. But I do think he may be reaching a bit as far as his ability would allow him at this time. I think he's I agree, got, I, agree. I, I think he's gotten better as an actor over the years. And I also uh, I think the '80s is like the most interesting time period for Harrison Ford because there's a really weird. Not weird. There's a really interesting variety of roles he was taking on with, like, this Jones, Mosquito Coast, Witness, which he got the nomination Witness, yeah. for, uh, Presumed right. Innocent, Frantic. Like, a lot of these movies are, they're all, and Working Girl, like, where it's a straight-up comedic performance for a change of pace. Like, there's a lot of variety in what he was doing, and it's, I always find that neat with Ford, who, you know, the, the eight, I mean, he's been popular since, you know, 77 at this point, but, like, mm-hmm. the kind of his his creative output the 80s and like mid and like up to mid 90s that's where he seemed to really be like putting in all kinds of effort to do a bunch of different kinds of stuff and why i question it in blade runner is he's iconic for this role mainly because the film is iconic but he's also harrison ford so you know it's gonna stand out a bit but i i look at it and i think is it really just is he underplaying it or is and he is but is he is that underplaying working well enough to his ability and I liked and I liked on good days I like to think, yeah, he's really doing a good job here, but other days I'm like, well, I can see if he did this part like a few years later, maybe he'd be even better in this role as Deckard. Well, maybe well, maybe Maybe him and Scott are on two different pages throughout this, because they did have their you know, qualms with each other yes. while while shooting, so you know, maybe a part of that's them being on two different pages. And that's why his, I look his at, learning curve as an actor was also like He's not particularly great in the first Star Wars. He's pretty rough around the edges. By Empire, he's great. He's a movie star. Yes, so he I like agree. learned. He learned in there somewhere. This must be close to Empire, the shooting of right. Yeah, because no, this is after. This is after this is, Empire. Is, this is after. Yeah. Yeah. Films Empire in '79. He goes. He goes right to Raiders of the Lost Ark, then he goes right to Blade Runner. Oh, this is after Indiana Jones. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he totally blossomed as a movie star. It's got to just be choices that he and Scott made to make the character not. Uh, engaging in the usual way and that's why i wonder about ridley scott and him as a director where it, this is fascinating for him to be a ro- in a role like this and ridley scott being like i need someone that's going to dial it down like humphrey bogart uh, but even but even be less charismatic and so that's what Har- he's like tasked harrison ford to do this and i find that to be fascinating. Well, bogart's really charismatic he is so he is but like bogart also yeah. gets to play that up like it's rare that you bogart do- i mean maybe like lonely heart like there's um or but but, but like ridley harrison scott also loved star wars yeah, that was his whole inspiration to do Alien. He loved Star Wars so much, so I can see him just wanting to. Work well, he really based on that. He really took that whole like lived-in future, uh, lived, you know, dirty sci-fi idea to its you know ultimate end in this movie and in yeah. Alien. You know what I mean? He takes and it. He takes it so far that in Star he, Wars. He takes it so I mean, far at, that he doesn't credit Star Wars for doing that. He credits himself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. of course. But I mean, he's Ridley Scott. Are you gonna argue with him? But uh, I, I, mean, I mean, if you look at like 2001 or, or like even Solaris from the, the 70s version or whatever, it's very clean, very sterile. And then you know, Star Wars hits and everything's dirty and lived in and you know, it looks like it's it's jury rigged, like you know, keep, keeping the Millennium Falcon going. You know, and like yeah, like you said, much since then. Yeah, like, but I mean, it's become like it became this whole aesthetic, and this is the movie that really kind of cemented that aesthetic. I mean, a lot of a lot of ways, you know, sprung off into like cyberpunk and those kind of things later in the eighties. You know, yeah. it was neat to finally see kind of an evolution. I mean, going from like like okay, another dirty sci-fi movie. What do we get? And then you get like Akira, and eventually Ghost in the Shell, and obviously like The Matrix. Uh, you know, way late '90s, but you know, it, it's neat to see the stages of even this kind of sci-fi reality. Well, and and Batman Begins was inspired by Blade Runner. That's uh, oh, easily Nolan. Yeah, the, the Nolan narrows. had the uh, 
Yeah, I had the, 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 the whole cast Batman watch it. And the first Batman. Yeah? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, that the whole uh, big city... I love uh, the shot. I'm sorry. Grungy, ugly, dirty, crime-ridden look was, yeah. Was here, it hasn't then... really evolved much beyond that, would you say? I mean, it's been... What was the last movie that was as influential as this one? I mean, this this aesthetic really hung on, and I think it's still present. Which I think is odd. That's a long. Well, I mean, time. there was a, there was a whole spate of like Road Warrior clones with that kind of aesthetic as well. After that, in the eighties, I can think well, of that. I mean, if you want to talk about um, significant shifts, I mean, Blade Runner's obvious. Oh, you know, the is. Star Wars, the Blade Runner's obvious one. I, I I do think that the Matrix had, and in terms of even in terms of filmmaking, had some good changes going on. Maybe not necessarily in production design as much, although there's some stuff there that I think kind of held over. But you know, Avatar. Honestly, like in movies that kind of utilized full digital creation of worlds as opposed to, you know, elaborate sets or whatnot. And colors, a lot of colors. And kind yeah. of a lot of colors. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you could credit that to Star Wars again, because like Attack of the Clones was really when it sure. really started. The prequels have a lot of that, colors. And like Sky Captain and Sin City, those were movies that were really kind of working in that kind of realm. Oh, man. Sky Captain. I forgot about that one. Sky Captain, which I like quite a bit. <laughs> I do like it, yeah. Do you? I, like... I, I, I always meant to watch it again. I thought it was so-so, but it was interesting, you know? I saw I it. I to see it again. I saw it. It came out. I saw it in IMAX, and I was, like, so thrilled by just, the like, kind of the, the, the retro feel. Like, it reminded me of Rocketeer. I was all into yeah. it because, like, that kind of... The snappy dialogue and the the way the act the way Paltrow and Jude Law were like performing together it just worked for me. It's I I wouldn't contend it's perfect, but I do think it's a, a really fun movie. I love Joe Turkel. Sorry, I'm yeah. seeing all these all my favorite character actors popping up as, as yeah. we're talking about. There's, the movie. there's not Catwoman. The library once. I get so <laughs> yeah. excited. Yeah. You mean Chani? That's Chani, dude. Come on. Where Sean Young got to everybody's like, holy crap, this Sean Young, she's something. She's you know plays this robot part well, and then we realize, oh no, she is just kind of vanilla. <laughs> Maybe so, but she is one of the most strikingly, strikingly shot and like hairstyled women in movie history. In this, she's yeah. really mm-hmm. oh, yeah. startling in this, That's startlingly true. like alien, beautiful, very very striking. There's a scene well, that, later where she pulls definitely... her hair down oh. into into the into the frame, like she lets her curls down. Arguably the greatest letting your hair down scene in any movie ever made. It's coming up I mean, later. Yeah, the whole thing you were talking about, about her being almost alien is a good point, because, like, yeah. they make her, like, so unnaturally beautiful in this world that's all, like, rain and neon and dirt, you know, and then here's this, like, impossibly perfect woman, right? Uh, contrasted yeah. to that. It's definitely a deliberate choice. This is also the film but, that convinced uh, a lot of people that Daryl Hannah was a good actress. Yeah. <laughs> she's pretty good in this. She is good in she this. A, she's she's good. She in has a, a couple uh, moments. Yeah. She's good in a few movies, but I mean, she has to be physical <laughs> in this, so she's good. She like doesn't that's probably really her jumping around, right? Well, yeah, it's very stilted. Not stilted. It's very kind of minimal dialogue and like lo- visual looks and moving around as opposed to, um, you know, Wall Street, for example. <laughs> so. She's in Wall Street. That's right. She got a Razzie nomination oh. for Wall Street. While we're a red, no award. Sorry, she won a Razzie for Wall Street. Uh, while we're at the Tyrell thing, when I, I watched this, uh, did the the 4K release, the Blu-ray, uh, the review for it, I noticed this, um, with Scott revisited his Blade Runner thematics in a reverse way when he did Prometheus, because yep. this movie, you know, features you know three replicants coming from another planet to meet their maker and learn more about their life and extension, and then you know Prometheus is about you know, three people from Earth going to be, meet their creator and yeah. learn more about their lives and stuff. And it's kind of interesting that he would revit, you know, that theme got 
revisit it, and there's a lot of interplays between the two films. Yeah, the, big, the, big, the biggest issue with Prometheus for people seems to be that they didn't know that really Scott actually just wanted to make a sequel to Blade Runner. Like that, that, seems, right, yeah. that seems to be like... That the, is true. That's I like think the that's the whole thing where you're going to see these... We'll only give you money to make an Alien sequel. Okay, I'll make an Alien sequel, but then you just make something else entirely, which is what... I, I really like Prometheus. Yeah, I, I do actually too. really like Covenant too, to be honest. I know, Jim, you're not a fan of Prometheus. <laughs> you're just or, or, grinding or your Covenant, teeth. really. I, I really I feel... Really like them both, and I think they do reflect this guy who made this movie and the things he thinks are important. Yeah, you uh, can tell with those, the the alien stuff is the last thing he's interested There's stuff he's really interested in exploring that he's, you know, hamstrung by telling an alien story in both of them. Couldn't have got it made otherwise, I assume. Right. I think, so, I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. I think his movies always look good and they always look the way he wants them to. They're very deliberate in the way they're shot and set. I mean, even these scenes here and the way they're lit and everything, the chaotic light in front of the static light in, in the foreground, the, 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 the light layer of smoke kind of giving the room more depth, like really showing off how big the space is. I mean, I think he's a brilliant filmmaker, obviously. I just, I, 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 I just had some major plot problems with with prometheus and alien covenant so it's well, cool though we can still be friends <laughs> you're not going to see a director like a, a career like that you're not going to see where he's done you know oh, yeah. really debuted as a, as a sort of auteur here and then he became more of an auteur for hire which which used to you see a lot more of that in hollywood you don't see that much these days but he did this widespread of movies i think you're right they're always well directed they're always well done and when he really tries like black hawk down or I think he's made enough great movies to probably have a better reputation than he does. I think people are hard on him for his bad movies, and they haven't appreciated some of the other movies he's made. I well, he's just made a lot of movies. That's a the thing, too. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. He's made so many over the years. That, you know, Especially in recent brilliant. years. Like, there was a, you know, the 90s is not the most prolific period for, for Ridley Scott. Like, it's, and it's even, like, after, like, so, because, like, yeah, like you were just saying, yeah, there's a lot of movies there. And, like, he tried something similar with Legend, which was, like, the fantasy version of Blade Runner, just not as deep and there's only so many memorable things about it. And then you just, yeah, you get, really? a, you get a, a weird well, variety didn't re- of movies. I was going to say, he didn't really have another hit until Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise, I mean, yeah. Which is great. Uh, Thelma Blade, Louise is Blade, a great movie. Oh, yeah, right? it's a great movie, definitely. But like, the, I remember this movie, I, I loved it. And like, my small you know, circle of geeky friends I talked to at that point, pre-internet, loved it. But like, it died in the box office. Like, I remember seeing it in a theater that maybe had four or five other people in it, you know? Uh, on, a, on a rainy afternoon. And uh, it, it just went nowhere. It's, it's just one of the first movies I can think of that got a, that kind of snowball effect on home video. Like yeah. People saw it more, a lot more people saw this at home than, than it in became the became a cult thing pretty quickly. Well, this, right. did, this did get caught in the wave of the E.T. phenomenon as well. Yeah, with like and, it, 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 and it yeah. and the thing opened the same weekend, I believe. Yeah. I don't know whether there ever would have been a time this movie would have been a huge popular success. It's, it's no. too... Right. Uh, it's too I, esoteric. It's I, I, it's too different. It's, it's well, I too think, different from everything else. I think. It, it, I think if it. I think if Ridley Scott had stages building up to this, then maybe there's a possibility there. Like if there if there was kind of like setting the stage for him to do something like this, that could have made it more of a. a well, thing, sometimes but... when you're right, the, the trendsetter, you're you're not popular out the hustling. gate. Sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you go. Sorry. No, I was just saying. Sometimes when you're the trendsetter and you're the big time, you don't either live to see that or you're just not, you know, or you're not popular out of the gate. It takes you know time to mm-hmm. to marinate. And it's maybe Atari, it's Atari a logo. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such it's such a it's such an intentionally. It's not this movie doesn't hustle you as a viewer. You have to lean in 
to figure out what's going on in this. But you have to care what's going on. You have to watch closely. But here's and like that's really not the other movies aren't like that from that era or from now. So this movie doesn't it doesn't it doesn't pander at all. You've got to really pay attention to get into this movie, and that's not you know that that's why the movie I think general audiences have sort of forgotten how to do that to to a large extent. And it's so well, this world's so well thought out that there's so much oh, detail yeah. that, that you're overthinking little details, too. So you, he just grabbed a bunch of pictures, not that important, um, but I mean, everything's so, li- I mean, so lived in and well thought out that it, it can be a bit of an overload when you're trying to go through this plot, too. I, have oh, some, I love that shot I, with I, the I have some bad examples, that I, or one example that's bad, one example that's good, as far as directors that made films that kind of represent everything they stand for and look into and what interests them most. One is Zack Snyder, where I think the films he did leading up to Sucker Punch, I think prepare you for a movie like Sucker Punch. Now, it doesn't help that Sucker Punch, to me, is not a good movie. Um, but I didn't I, like it either. But, I could, but like looking at that, it's like, yeah, that's purely Zack Snyder. I get what he's interested in based off seeing 300 and Watchmen and Dawn of the Dead before that. Like I get his visual style. I get the things he's interested in thematically. And it kind of all builds to something like that, this big kind of crazy video game that mixes mental illness and other aspects. And like, there's something there. The other I can think of is Christopher Nolan. These are just offhand where like something like inception naturally comes from a director like that. I can see him Mm -hmm. building up to a movie that leads exactly to that. And, and the difference between the two is inception was a hit. I mean, he's, he's, they're both blockbuster filmmakers, but he he made one that, you know, it has Leonardo DiCaprio. It has a huge cast and it has a lot of things working in its favor, but it also developed its own kind of, style that fits the director you've seen whose films you saw before it it makes a lot of sense like you know what i'm saying you know like as far as uh yeah i'd, I'd put tarantino in that category too i yeah, mean, I mean it's obvious what his influences yeah. are you know from watching his movies and you definitely know that, you're watching I, a tarantino movie when you watch one i mean i think that works against ridley scott's career unfortunately because i think we've really come to lean on this idea that if you're a great filmmaker, then all your films have a similar thing, and there's this consistent, you know, like for Scorsese's movie, all, all, movies almost always you can tell there is Scorsese movie based on what they're interested in. Whereas Ridley Scott, really, you can't tell. And I think that, that that sort of works against trying to sort of contextualize him and say, well, this is what kind of filmmaker he is. Well, so I'm, what, I'm, what, I, what I was saying, though, is that those are direct, the ones, the examples I gave are like ones that kind of built into leading up to like the ultimate iteration of what they're filmmaking abilities would get them to where blade runner comes right after alien like there's no like kind of gradual step to him making blade runner necessarily you have the duelist alien in this and this is as much as i love alien uh we'll get back to that in a second by the way as far as people tend to choose between these two um i do think the the step between alien to blade runner there's no like interstitial film that gets you per- like if someone was following ridley scott's career they're not saying like Hmm, I wonder if Blade Runner seems obvious like the next well, step for the guy that made Alien. Economically, though, I mean, he made a bunch of money for them on Alien, so naturally he would shoot, you know, they, he would go for something that was a little higher budget and a little more sci-fi. I mean, yeah, he, sure. probably, he probably went to the studios like, hey, I just made you a, a boatload of money on a, a weird sci-fi movie. Give me more money, I'll make another one, you know? That's <laughs> so. fair, yes. I guess it, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking in terms of why this movie flopped. And I mean, there's a variety because of reasons. Because it's like, so obtuse. It's a very obtuse movie. I, yeah, Yancey makes a great point, and that's why they ended up putting that voiceover in that atrocious yes. TV version or whatever, is because they thought it was too obtuse for audiences to get without being spoon fed every little bit of what was going on. And what I'm positing, what, what, what I'm positing is that if if 
if Ridley Scott became more of a a known quantity um, beyond just being like the director of Alien, it's more of like like he is now essentially, where people say a new Ridley Scott film is coming and you get that gets your attention. If that happened after Alien, where he did like other movies that kind of were somewhat similar to Blade Runner, but also still fairly commercial, and then did Blade Runner, maybe that would have made a more successful. I don't know, run Alien, Alien. You got to remember, Alien is a pretty striking thing for its own thing. That's a, it's basically they're not. It's not Flash Gordon. It's a bunch of like truckers, and they're just muttering to each other. They, it's they relatable really for out. what though? It's relatable. Really, <laughs> yeah, but they don't really stand out as characters. We like Sigourney. Sure, they do. We, we Sigourney Weaver comes an icon. But, yeah, if we watch Tom Scarrett's the guy times, you expect course, to live. He's very easy to get it. Of course, of course. If we watch it a hundred times, the first time you watch Alien, though, unless you know, of course, it's Sigourney Weaver. She doesn't really stand out until she needs to stand out after after Tom Scarrett dies. So that's already a movie that's. Uh, you know, it's it's a little drier than the usual science fiction. Sure, I get barking. that. Yeah, and so this is just a further expression of that. That was Alien was such a huge artistic success that I think it's it makes sense that he was then prodded he prodded himself to do something even more personal. And and, and the box office failure, uh, you know, that's what happens. And you got to try to make uh, hits in other from other people's scripts and stuff. Fair enough. When he go, he doesn't yeah. go back to. He's, it's funny. Forever he was, you know, known as you know Blade Runner and Alien were constantly brought up on his his uh, filmography and stuff and you know his tops films and he didn't even do anything like them until he went back to Prometheus. Yeah. It's like, it's funny. It's he doesn't touch it. He did more like fantasy sword yeah, and period, sandal period stuff period than ethics. he did his. Yeah. 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 Mhm. Robin Hood and yeah. And, I mean uh Kingdom of Heaven, uh Gladiator, you know, Legend we talked like it's it's pretty I just watched Legend a few weeks ago. Yeah. Unfortunately that one doesn't doesn't it's I've such, always been pretty good... mad on Legend. It's not one where... Yeah, I... yeah. It has, gr- it has good stuff in it. Uh, it Tim, Curry, Tim Curry's always movie. good. Yeah, It's an idea argue, movie. Would, it's a beautiful movie, and I would argue that Ridley Scott is one of the few filmmakers. His style is so good, it almost is substantial on its own. He can almost make a movie good just by the, the beauty of the images. But Legend is the proof that it's just, it's just too hard, because it doesn't stick. But there's some things in that movie that... As a film lover, you'll cherish forever images in that movie are transcendent, you know? Especially Tim Curry with that ridiculous getup. Fantastic. Tom Cruise isn't that great in that movie either. Just no. He's not very he's, good. He's, mis, he's miscast. It's more like, let's get the, let's get the pretty boy actor in this movie more than let's get the right guy that can do the role. Uh, it would have been Jude Law if they waited 10 years. It would have been Jude Law. <laughs> Uh, well, the, re- the Legend remake's just around the corner, I'm sure, so you could de-age well, I'm you not so sure about that one. <laughs> Jim, you probably re- Have you read the book, Jim? The Android Street yeah. Electric Sheep? Yeah, I have. I have the graphic novel, too, actually. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I got both of those as well. Like, I, I feel like I, I like the book quite a bit, and it's it's a good... These two complement each other, but I think this is kind of like, uh, in a way, like Kubrick's Shining for that book, because they're... Oh really? Very different. They, yeah. I mean, they, they're same, but I mean, there's a whole uh, religion aspect in the book. Uh, you make an excellent point because the, the same way Kubrick like took the spine of the story from The Shining, but mm-hmm. got rid of a lot of the extraneous stuff, but like kept like the main idea of like the bad mm-hmm. place and and the guy going crazy. The same with this, you know, he takes the main idea of the replicants and you know more human than human and that kind of thing, and then builds his story around that. Right. So. De- Deckard's married in the book. He has a yeah, wife. It's a lot um, he gets kidnapped, um, and there's the quick moment of whether he's human or not, but he, he's totally human throughout the book. But I think if you're looking at this movie as to whether uh, Deckard is human or not, you're missing the point. That's 
not yeah. a big focus. It doesn't I really, matter. I really don't care either way because it yeah. doesn't bother. It doesn't bother me either way. It doesn't affect the story for me either way. So, I, I, that's, I, one of my that's, ma- that's one of my main concerns of twenty forty nine. If it's going to be too belabor, too focused on answering that question, it's mm-hmm. not anything more interesting. That's it. I think I they, do, no, I, they I, already they already said uh, when they were going in production and stuff that I, they were been, going on the basis that that what if you, I. I don't know if you want me to say, but I, I know it was a pretty. But he's still big, alive. <laughs> well, he's still alive, but that yeah, um, that he they were going under the uh, Deckard as a human. Well, uh, let me ask you guys as as experts: Is it? I know that Ridley Scott says yes, he's a replicant. Harrison Ford says no, I wasn't playing him. Is Harrison Ford saying even the question is absurd, or is he just saying yes, the movie questions it, but then in the end he thinks Deckard is a human? That's what I think Harrison yeah. Ford thinks he's a human. Yes. Yeah. But does he think that that's a legitimate question that the movie's asking? It feels like it certainly is asking us. Maybe this guy's a robot too. It's a, a robot. it's an interesting little turn, and it's it's something that maybe Decker can kind of struggle with himself as he you know wonders as Rachel Rachel really gets into his head as to make him wonder like wonder things. But he's more more so wondering why we treat these you know how are they different than I than me because they have their own free thought they they have emotion. You know, what... that, yeah, that's Deckard's shift, his mental shift in the movie is I think what makes it a film noir. I think yeah. he, he goes from solidly certain to uncertain by the end of the movie, and that's a not usually where a movie goes, but it can be great if if done like this, which it is. To mm-hmm. um to to add a couple things, what um Brandy you mentioned, you know, they say that you know he, that's what they're going with for the next movie. I've been lied to by producers before. True, uh, true. But notably, but Frank, if, Frank, if... Frank Marshall told me Indiana Jones Four would look like an Indiana Jones movie, and it doesn't. Um, but, but, Cumberbatch but, is not con. He's not. But, um, but the thing, only not con. Is that Harrison Ford comes back when Harrison Ford gets what he wants? So yep, I mean, look, what, look at Force Awakens. Um, I kind of had that feeling when he got when he agreed to come back for Force Awakens, and uh, it was confirmed. And now he's coming back for Blade Runner. That you know, it's going under the assumption of of what Harrison Ford wants. So. And he got to wear his own clothes. So Yeah, obviously. Apparently. I mean, we all know this. They could have just made it without him. I guess it wouldn't have had any chance of being a hit with just Gosling, huh? You know, baby Bruce. No I don't think it has a chance of being a... It's, just, it's Blade Runner, and even the marketing <laughs> yeah. on this movie is not selling it to anybody new. Well, yeah. I'll be very All curious, but that's, that's a different discussion. So that's a different discussion. The other thing I wanted to talk about... Or We're talking about Blade Runner 2019 tonight. Yes, yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was that Philip K. Dick... Um, did he didn't he died before the movie got released, but he was a fan of the rewritten script that they did yep. for this movie. He, he liked the script. He got to see some of the visual effect designs. Uh, At least that, on the day they asked him that, the man yeah. was very uh, the, for sure. Um, <laughs> right. So that for for all yeah. I for. for, for what I can tell, he's at least somewhat happy with the direction they were going with this film, uh, compared it's, to compared to Stephen King, who still wants to trample the shining leaf on his feet and under the dirt and be like, "Fuck this movie, I don't care." Well, the, the tragic thing about Dick was that he did pass away while they were making this movie. He never got to see the finished product. Plus, I mean, they made so many other movies based on his works after he was passing. You were talking about how like movies aren't appreciated. Same way with writers. When he wrote that stuff back in the '60s, huh? it was too far ahead of its time, and then in the '80s. Total Recall, you know, and Minority Report. I mean, it all becomes main, mainstream, uh, you know, hit movies. And uh, he never really got to see the success of his own work. It's kind of and, tragic. And they've never adapted uh, what's considered his best book, which is Ubik. It's always been 
picked up by studios and stuff. I don't even know where you'd start to adapt that to the screen. Has there ever been true? That book's out there, man. Sorry, what? Has there ever been a successful movie based on a Philip K. Dick story? Oh, yeah. or Total, yeah, Total Recall is a hit. Total Recall. Minor, Minority Report was a hit. Minority Report was mm-hmm. a hit. Yeah, they both were. They both were. And they're uh, both really good. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite though, is The Scanner Darkly. A Scanner yeah. Darkly. Oh, yeah, that's I a great that one. Yeah, great. Yeah. I like that a lot. I love that. I think the movie's totally that, under, underseen. That's the one that I would I say agree. Phil K. Dick would probably really like. I think, I, like, yeah. I think Linklater really got exactly what the attitude was of, of that story mm-hmm. and like putting that to screen. Yeah, it's actually super close to the book. Yeah, that, yeah, Very that one. Is, yeah, and people, uh, I mean, people still want to rag on Keanu. It's like, have you watched his movies? Like, he's like, he's really good at a scattered art. He's good at that. He, he is really very good. good. And a movie, like, and a movie like that is too interesting to ever die. It'll eventually find an audience. There aren't enough movies like that for it to sort of fade into obscurity. I hope you're right. I hope you're right, man. But you know, the best <laughs> one is uh, next. Uh, right. Uh, you forgot. What about Imposter? I was about oh, to mention Imposter. Impo- I was going to mention Imposter because while it's not a good overall, it does have some good stuff in it. I do think Sinise See, is actually doing some even interesting crappy, stuff. Even crappy fantasy movies tend to survive because there aren't enough of them. They're like, you know, like Event Horizon. Event Horizon isn't that good, but it's a classic, and I kind of like it. Oh, it's a great, it's a, it's a great haunted house space movie. That's why it works so well, or at least it, it doesn't it, work that. It, well, well, it works well enough where it, it's garnered an audience uh, compared to other Paul W. S. Anderson movies. A director who I enjoy for him as a kind of production design background, putting into kind of schlocky B movies. Event Horizon easily stands to the top. Uh, but, but if you, but if you're a fan of big budget science fiction movies, you have to kind of you have to kind of like a lot of movies that are flawed. Because they're the same with horror. Same with horror, exactly. Yeah. Sure, exactly of course, same with horror, sure. You have to be a person that gets into visuals, appreciates effect work. I mean, for sure. You for can, sure. And uh, with like horror, there, a lot of the fan base and stuff is like, there, there could be just one scene in a movie, and that's why you think it's good. You know, the Beast like, Within. Oh. The yeah, Beast the Beast Within, within that, transfer, that totally. transformation <laughs> that's scene. That's so yeah. good, that scene. That's the only yeah. thing that's good about it, but it's so good that I like the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. Like scanners or the head explosion, like oh, that makes geez. that whole movie. <laughs> yep. Right, right. Yeah, because I'm not a big scanners fan. I do like some no, stuff I, going I think on. It's, there. Like, it's like a half a good movie there. But oh, well, last time I saw that one too, I finally loved it. I don't know what's going on with me. <laughs> like a month ago, I also watched scanners. I was like, hey, this is really good. And it's probably the eighth or ninth time I've seen it. I'm just happy like to eventually it. get there. And I, and I, I like the third scanners because it's just this cheesy B movie fest that finally just says, let's just screw with the scanner stuff we do. And try to make it faster paced, a little more entertaining, but I just like Mike Carlin inside and scanners. Oh yeah. He's great. Oh, he's the, so good. The lead oh. guy I'm not a big fan of. But uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he he hampers the movie. I, a strange performance. I'm yeah. con- I'm convinced that Cronenberg cast him because he has giant eyes. That's been my thing for him. I think yeah. he, I think because he can get so bug eyed, it just works with the kind of performance he's supposed to be giving in that movie. But I just don't think he's a very good actor in the movie. I thought he cast him because he looked like Cronenberg. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. If you watch the extras on the Criterion scanners, they talk to him. He sounds like a totally normal person when they talk to him. I don't know why he sounds so stiff when he's acting, but he's just not an actor. But it's always funny to me when those people who are so sort of bad in a movie and you see them talking and they just talk like regular people you're like why can't you just do that in the movie <laughs> instead of bugging your eyes out and acting so weird this but is, yeah this, michael ironside saved that this yeah. is the part where i mind audiences that or listeners that uh, this is not a scene specific commentary track for Blade Runner. Right, no. <laughs> I'm but, that, but since look you mentioned the scene look, look at this light, but look at the lighting in this scene you hey, know i mean this has influenced has music any, videos for decades has anyone you know? been in the bradbury building i've never been 
I have. Oh, Anna, Anna and I that. were in the Bradbury building. We were walking through downtown LA with some friends once, and we fe- we came across the Bradbury building. We're like, yeah, all right. And we went in and uh, we walked through uh, this building. You can only go up part of it. You can't use the elevator, or at least on that day, you couldn't use the elevator. Uh, but it's a cool, I mean, certainly you can understand why it's used in movies. <laughs> no, I think funny. also because it's called Bradbury. I think that makes it kind of cool. That There's helps. No connection yeah. to Ray Bradbury, but it's just cool. Yeah. What's his, is, what's his, is this William Sanders? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah William yeah, yeah. Sanderson, yeah. man. Well, I thought it was Newhart, Nate was. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He. Well, I mean, he's been in more than that. But yes, Newhart yeah. is. A, yes, yeah. Probably well, known is from that Trump, him? No. Yeah, he was Daryl, or uh, not Daryl, but the brother of Daryl and Daryl. Mm-hmm. I get him mixed up with the guy who's in the in Tim Burton's Batman who plays. Oh, the Batman. beginning, like that mugs. The guy who's like Jack Nicholson's assistant for most of oh, the movies. Oh, Bob. Oh, that's Bob. Tracy that's Walter. That's Tracy Walter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Jonathan Demi movies, right? For yes. some reason, I can't yeah. those yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to tie this into Batman because he plays uh, you know, Sebastian here who builds uh, replicants and stuff. And then in Batman the Animated Series, he'd voice a character that built Cyborg. Exactly. Sure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> cool, cool touch. That's because Bruce, oh, really? Bruce Tim, and Paul Dini are super nerds, and they love doing that kind of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> the brilliance of that show yeah. from all angles. Brandon, were you saying something else, or was that what you were going to do? That was what I was going to do, and then the the auntie went to Batman. I was like, well, this is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We were talking about the effects earlier, and I do love the... You're exactly right as far as this movie holding up so well. Like, and Brandon, you and I have talked about this, and Jim, for that matter. We've talked about this many times about movies that quote unquote hold up. It's it's rare that I, holding up is such a weird kind of term to use because it's obviously there's things that are of the time, but I mean they're going to look how they look and it's not about if they like match whatever the hell it is in your mind it's about like how effective it is within the context of the film and there's a i mean king kong holds up if you want to like put that standard out there but like, sure and the ray harryhausen movies yes, hold up I mean, because but, they're made with such attention and love that they don't really age when you can mm-hmm. sense something is made with a lot of attention to detail and thoughtfulness it doesn't matter if certain other things are dated i mean this movie is clearly incredibly thoughtful on every level so it, it it's such a valuable thing it should, it should cost 10 times as much to see as a normal movie where they and, don't put any thought into it well you know? visual wise i mean they're like aaron you always say i can see the strings there's no strings visible in this movie I, I don't, from a visual standpoint it's a, it's effects a, sets yeah. everything it, it's because yeah, i don't mean to sound my cranky old age but i mean in a lot of cases you know, practical effects based movies age better than movies that are based on CGI. And Very I, true. Very I send true. you to the first Sam Raimi Spider Man if you need proof of that. Statement. I mean, that, it, that didn't look good to me when it came out. So. Yeah. It's perfect. It's fantastic. Now, part of the reason I love Spider Man 2 is because of that Oscar win it got for visual effects because it, yeah. it they really upped the ante. They're like, we should oh, yeah. do, we should do this right the next time because that, that's why I'm not, I, I like Spider Man, but it's not, I'm not huge on the first one. But the second one is like, I like kick, everything but the effects in that yeah, first they, one. They it into overdrive and it's like yeah this is spider-man this is what it looks like to see a person swinging around a city well the thing with cg is you can you can get it to look right on the big screen but a lot of times it's when it comes to home video on the smaller screen that it looks more obvious like there's shading problems color timing issues and uh one of the one of the directors that's better at having that hold up is actually michael bay his oh, CG yeah. usually holds up very well and mixes with the live action when it comes to home video just as much as it does on the big screen. A lot of them, when they come to home video, it's you know, it's like, well, well I'm looking at computer-generated images. 
Yeah, because he. Yeah, if you half-ass, if you half-ass the CG, it's it just doesn't work at all. If you half-ass practical effects, it can still be kind of charming. But half-ass yeah. CG, CG is just terrible. Because he yeah, falls, in, he, he falls into that James Cameron camp of these are guys that are, regardless of the quality of their movies, they're obsessives. They 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 yes. need to get everything exactly right the way they want. Right. You don't have yes. to like Transformers, but you can. No matter a, it, no matter how someone's gonna watch it, they have it perfected. Like, yes. even if it's on a phone, they want it to look. They won't want you to watch it on a phone, but they'll make sure it is as good as it can be on a phone. And it's incredibly impressive to me that the first Transformers looks as about as good as the the, the latest Transformers. Like, mm-hmm. the effects are, are... The ILM does a fantastic job that they don't get nearly enough credit for, <laughs> which is a shame. I'm sure those movies are exactly the movies Michael Bay wants to make. Uh, yeah, for the, for the like most them. part. Maybe Revenge of the Fallen had that Rider Strike thing go on, but for the... I mean, it's everything that he wants in them is in those movies. Hmm. <laughs> Anyway. This always just confused me when I was when I was younger watching this movie. I'm like, what is he looking for? Yeah, I was yeah, wondering how he's able to change the picture. He's a great detective. <laughs> this is this is this is this is definitely on the borderline of surreal. This whole scene, because yeah, he and found this, that scale of, from the from the the fake alligator, is it or something like? He found that thirty minutes snake. ago. Snake, it's it's a snake that she uses in her dance routine. And yeah. I couldn't recognize that as Dora, but on the four K one, this stuff is like way more clear than it's ever been. Yeah, and you I'm can see the I tattoo on face. I'm just, I'm selling, I'm selling. To wrap up our point on the effect, or my point on the effects thing, I think the. Yes, I mean the, the mix of matte matte effects. The obviously Scott's redone some of these visuals of the, in the final cut. It's not even redone as far as like adding dobacks and chicken walkers they've or something. Done, but they've like done it's some cosmetic, <laughs> they've done some cosmetic stuff. Which yeah, is yeah, the best kind of special edition is cosmetics. Yeah, like all the walkie talkies look great. I mean, there's just a lot of things like that that really um, pay off in the in how. But it never looked anything but pretty great. I mean, oh yeah, the... for sure. I mean, but mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you can make the minor tweaks that are done complement the film as opposed to you know, same with like as opposed to some of the Star Wars stuff that people complain about. THX, the work that Lucas did on that film, that movie looks you know is about as good as it can. I mean, for the things that is kind of oh, those editions are great. Yeah, yeah, it's not the idea of changing the movie; it's what you do. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, like, yeah. To, we have to live, you know. We have to live with it. If the artist is alive, you can do that, you know. As long yeah. as the versions are still around and available, which they always, well, hopefully, will always be. Like <laughs> right. I mean, those those old Lucas versions are going to come out eventually. Well, know? I don't. That's the thing. Everybody wants the original, unaltered versions. I'm like, can we get the like 1990s pre-special edition alterations? Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you go to the originals, you're going to have like the see-through cockpits. You're going to have uh, square. Well, uh, boxes eventually, around they'll smarten yeah. up and. They'll do what they did here. You'll get seven different versions of Star Wars on one, right, disc, or in one de- stream. You know, it'll be all the different. Well, versions. Yeah, once one of the Star Wars films flops, then they'll have a reason to want to make more money. So yeah, it will work. It's out coming. Give it five years. Imagine <laughs> that a flop Star Wars movie. That's gonna be heartbreaking. Even though I'm checked out. Well, it'll probably be my Bib Fortuna movie that I've been asking for ever since they bought the company. So. I'm telling you, this right. salacious crumb story. <laughs> There's a gold mine waiting there, man. Well, how do you do a job with a Hut movie? He doesn't move, does he? That's why you, you follow <laughs> the adventures of Salacious Crumb. It would be exactly yeah. like a ghost story. You put Jabba under a sheet for the whole movie inside one house and have him watch his ex-lover. <laughs> yeah, all right. That makes that work. It works. <laughs> I've convinced you. Okay, done. I kind of see Salacious Crumb as like the Nelson months of the Star Wars universe. He just walks around <laughs> you know, laughing at people at their foibles. So, here's the thing. I've never seen the theatrical version of this movie. Okay. I've never watched the version that has the narration on top of it. Me neither. 
I, I don't feel the need to. <laughs> I, I don't see why at this point, where, like, I know this movie for what it is. I don't see why, especially even... The curiosity factor just is, does, it, does not affect me. Jim, I, I, you know, you liked this movie the first time around when you did see it in theaters. Has it, is there... Do you have anything to add as far as how this movie's improved or even maybe not. Well, I, I heard about, well, I heard about everything that happened with it. Like after the fact, like I think I read about it in Cine Fantastic or Star Logo or something we had before the internet would, would tell us about these kind of things about how, you know, Warner had gone or not Warner. They'd gone in and put in the, uh, uh, you know, the voiceovers before and everything. And, you know, and I remember seeing it on TV and it still had the voiceovers and stuff and then came out the director's cut, you know, and Oh boy, you know, they're going to get rid of that and have it you know, the way it is. And, and, you know, it's not like it's the first time they've done this. They did this with Brazil too, with Terry yeah. Gilliam, you know, they yeah. put in voiceovers and that and a lot of explanatory uh, exposition and stuff. And they're like, it, I, I I mean obviously I pre- I prefer the un, you know the the unexpurgated you know unabridged version you know that the filmmaker originally made but like um, I think it's you know it, it makes a big difference you know I mean it I really I it, it bothers me now when the, a lot of movies are, are dependent on focus groups and test audiences and things like that that things get changed in stories. And it bothered me, I mean, even though it's nothing new, you know what I mean? It bothered me when it happened then, it bothers me when it happens now. Um, well, it's relatively new still, isn't it? The idea that you have to cater to pre-existing demands instead of make, take a gamble and make something original. I think the audience wants to be surprised. Even though they I, don't think know, I, like, I think they do, but I think with a big, you know, big studio putting a lot of money behind it, they want as sure a thing as they can get. That's why there's so many sequels and stuff like that, you know. But, when you choke, it's, it's got to be an effect when you choke off this kind of thing from happening. What happens after 50 years? Like, I'm worried. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to how how franchising can get shaped over time, where something like the like the MCU, regardless of your opinions on them, it is something newer than what you do get. Is it something like, I mean, I mentioned But those movies I, we, tremble I, I, in fear. Those movies tremble in fear at their audience. There's I, no I, chance of ever making one that would really bomb. Which means there's very little chance of them making one that's really special. We'll see where things go in the future of them after this kind of this first season or whatever you want to call it wraps itself up after the second part of Infinity War or whatnot. But I mean, c- comparing that to something like numerous sequels of a Transformer series or Pirates, which have just had diminishing returns, I mean, there, there it's is something. Jag- it's the same thing. It's, it's the same. The same thing. Yeah, but it's a different combination of that thing. And audience... It's a little better, but it's not. It's, it's it's still a long way from. But if you want to talk about blockbuster movies that have appeal in some way, I mean, there is something to be said for these kind of reboot quals that you know bring back things from the past, like Blade Runner twenty forty nine or Star Wars or Jurassic World, uh, as what. And in addition to kind of this universe building idea that's still fairly novel and hasn't exactly taken off with studios that are trying to plan it out, versus having traditional sure. sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel. That's true. That's true. I, I think part of the thing is like back in the day we used to get the the film that the filmmaker wanted or the studio wanted and now we're in an era where they're giving us what we want more often than not than, oh, yeah it's... especially in the in the blockbuster filmmaking taking those we're not the storytellers jumps. we can't don't give us what we want we're not we but, yeah, that's, but if but you so... leave happy you're coming back the next time and they're always planning to make a next time which is the, the weird i mean that's yeah, but they're never making people really take a... no one people have forgotten about the real art form of the movies it's it lost their magic it lost their appeal 
I'm like, not. Let's... I'm not. I'm not commenting on that. I'm just saying that's the direction with which the big studio yeah, I... films well, want to go. At the, you look at the stage <laughs> of these things where the things were producer driven early on. They got more director driven in the '60s, '70s, '80s. Kind of went backwards for some weird reason. The '90s kind of took advantage of producers that seemed to want to explore the space. Then 2000s and now it's 2000s. I mean. I can give or take 2000 but now it, it like you said it's kind of, it's not it's like this weird fan driven mixed with studios that are owned by even bigger companies that seem to have a say in where things are going it's I mean, true what it is it's star wars plus 40 years which means now movies are only being made for children and people who are sort of children at heart this movie right here we're looking at was made for adults that which, we need adult movies adults need adult movies you we're know? getting we're there getting we're starting to, yeah, we're starting I mean, to get there i mean which, Yancey, I want to point out, you and I were on an episode talking about Logan. Were we on together. that together? Oh, my good Lord. Yeah. So, but my thing is, the reason they can make Logan now is because we're in an era where the fans have gotten so many X-Men movies, they're up to speed. That's what they want, is a Logan movie like that. If you had given them a, a Wolverine movie like that in 2002, were they ready for it? Would they have wanted it? Mm-hmm. And also the fans, I mean, they grew, I mean, up, they grew up with the but audience was what anybody wanted when they made it. I mean, no, like when you lose the risk, you lose the reward. And, and if there's always uh, we have to make sure the audience wants it before we make it, there's diminishing returns in terms of I still think that Logan, Logan's good for what it is. But it's, it's like I, I can't imagine comparing it to a movie like this. This movie leaves you in a very. Well, yeah, uh, but that's what I'm saying. Logan, Logan, back in like early 2000s would have been that chance you're talking about but we've grown so much that it became something like that now it, it got to be safe i'm not saying logan now takes those chances i'm just saying it could have been in a different era but it had to wait its time till it was okayed by audiences to come out like it did in effort to be a kind of bigger smash i mean it could have been accepted at that right. time it, but... i mean i'm sure hardcores would have loved it right then but general audiences which is what they want the dollar from and it's kind of split off now. Now you get like the there are uh, very clearly defined either big budget theater friendly uh, movies, and then there are art house awards worthy movies. You know what I mean? But the, the, and the, the, it's the, very. But and and like there used to be no division. Like there would be big budget movies that would fail that would be very innovative and 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 you know take steps forward like this. You know, bringing it back to Blade Runner, and then you know you the, but even when someone came up with something as unique as this movie, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted by Joanna Cassidy right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, the studio had felt the need to swoop in and put all this explanation and exposition because they didn't think audiences would get it, you know? Well, here's what is my, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and you know, it's, it's nothing new now, you know, it's like the, the screenplays were obviously written, you know, not as, you know, not, not as obtusely in a plot way or whatever as this movie or whatever, and like you said, not as innovatively, obviously. But like even then, if they made something as innovative as this, they felt the need to go in and dumb it down, you know. Sure, but right. I think the key, I think the key is that this is if you just talk about the plot of this movie, it doesn't sound like much. Oh, it's about mm-hmm. a, a cop who goes after replicants, and right. maybe he's a replicant. The greatness of this movie is completely trans uh, is completely, I would say, or at least ninety percent of it is communicated via its cinematics, the mm-hmm. visuals, and and mm-hmm. the way it's. The way it's about what it's about visually, right? It's it's, it's a mood movie, movie. Where, but it's not just that. It's it's a movie that it, its text is largely in in its visuals. It needs to be read mm-hmm. like a you know. And I don't think modern movies, even when they're good, in, in the sort of summer kind of sort of summer movie thing, most of them are not 
cinematic. It's like, rare. Most right. you're, you're looking for it. you're looking for pure cinema, which some of these summer movies can trick you into thinking they have these cool visuals that telegraph stuff, but like that. But I mean, that's just cool. I'm talking about classical cinema, like like yeah. visual visual based. A lot of the Marvel movies, and I guess that's my issue, is that they feel like television to me. And nothing wrong with that, but movies are different. When movies really work in a giant theater, dark room, it, it's a different kind of a thing. The images are so big, and you're so not, you, it's so hard to be distracted from the image in a big theater like that, that they can tell a story that's more about the visuals, what's and going there, on. There's, how, a, there's know, a subjective bar that you're holding that to, and that's fair. I under, I understand that. Uh, I want to... <laughs> I'm happy with this, but I want to get you back know to. No, it's true. You I want to get. True. It's not a matter of denying, but it's also a matter of accepting what I want to see passing as entertainment. If that's what I'm going to get, I can strive to want to have more, but at the same time, I'm still getting stuff that I can enjoy. I want to move back to Blade Runner because we're talking a lot about. Right. Around I was it. trying to bring it back too, because <laughs> this scene is pretty spectacular. I mean, a lot of this movie is oh, yeah. spectacular, but this scene's pretty spectacular as far as seeing this chase play out. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, you're getting a lot of the world here. Uh, you're getting a lot of interesting. The Joanna Cassidy's costume design, I think, is fat because she has that like really weird clear raincoat as like the go-to thing, and then amidst this mm-hmm. like really dirty city that's constantly raining and everything, and like her whole death scene's gonna play out, and it's like this is, I mean, you want to talk about cinema yet? Yeah, see, like this whole slow motion sequence where Deckard finds her, shoots at her, and kills her. It's like that's it's great. It's a fantastic well, series oh, of yeah. events. You're, you're shooting a woman in the back. and the sound yeah. effects too in the background. Oh yeah, it's like, a morbid situation, but it's still no like, amazing. Really <laughs> I mean, good. You think about what we're well, you're seeing shooting a woman in the back. That's, that's... He's turning into a cold cold-hearted like what you'd expect a replicant to be because all of a sudden he's mission focused and I think that's where he started. I think he started as a cold-hearted bastard. And well, yeah, that's why he's Sean Young is just changing. Yeah. Well, that's, now, what, and that's what the book explores see him... too. The book explores that that idea of him of him being so like burnt out of being this guy that's just murdering replicants left and right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> uh, plot related. Why is why does Deckard need to kill these replicants? It's his job. They're it's, not supposed to, because there's been um, a revolt. They've they've. Uh... Funny you should mention that because it's kind of covered in that Sinichiro uh, Wanatabi anime. Uh, why the replicants get outlawed on the planet to begin with? And now I understand that, but these replicants specifically, the ne- Nexus Six, they're supposed to die very shortly. Why is it so important that he kills them if they're going to die anyway? That's a good point. I don't know. Yeah. It's a question I always want. That's like one of the big. Well, that's the bigger question I have every I mean, time. As far as I mean, logic it, goes, if a sixty-eight-year-old man came and uh, murdered someone close to you, would it be why go after them anyway, right? Because they're you know, or an old person, would you just let them go? Because that's true. They kill people, actually, so that's why they're after them. Actually, I, was, I, well, I always thought it was to protect Tyrell. I mean, because I mean, Batty makes a, a beeline to Tyrell to get more more years, and I think because of the corporate interests, that's why he has to hunt them down. Because if not, they're you know they're worried that they're going to come after Tyrell or something. That's so. the best answer I can take. It, Brandon, you're, what you presented me was something that's still ambiguous, where it's like, sure, he might die soon, but he's still. I mean, I don't know when these guys. I know they're going to die in like two days. Like that's. That's it. Like that's their that's their lifespan. It's uh, it just I. But you can't give dangerous revolutionaries two days. I mean, but like, what are they really doing? I now obviously yes, we know what, what they're really they, doing. I, yeah, they. What if they 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 set themselves to explode or something and took out some people because they yeah, knew right. they had two days? And we're just gonna. So there's a presumed liability. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Fair but enough. But whoever said because it's his job is also I think right. I think that is really why it's happening. It's about this job this guy has, you know, and it's yeah. becoming real. His realization that it's immoral. 
Yeah. It's not even his job. He's an exploit writer. <laughs> like he's not, he's just, he's he's just like, so right. good at he's so good at something that itself is not a good thing, I think. And he just killed one that has just integrated herself into society. She was just a dancer. She was just, you know, making her way. Right. I'm sure they had plans and stuff, but I mean, what harm have these replicants caused on Earth? I mean, they froze James Hong's hand, I think, or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> I mean, Roy Batty. Roy James Hong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about more Rucker Hauer as we get, as, when we get to his scenes. I'm, I'm saving that a bit because he's not really in the movie that until later on. But um, We right. haven't seen him but his hand yet so we, far, No, right? we saw him. We saw oh, him. Oh, we had a little the, scene with him earlier. In the James Hong yeah. when he's interacting oh. with him. Uh, let's talk about yeah. Edward James almost a little bit. Oh, he's yeah. Great in this movie. <laughs> like, he's great. And this is like, yeah. it's not, you know, he's only had a few roles before this. Like, he had some theater stuff, but like you know as a film role he he plays such an odd character um his whole look um like the bow tie the the, the eyes the kind of attitude he has the way he, it's something decidedly different from deckard or anybody else around I mean, walsh is also great um but yes he is but but uh yeah edward james Olmos, who like i haven't well I, I i didn't watch battlestar galactica i i know edward james Olmos from this blood and blood or uh yeah blood in, or no american me and um What's it? Uh, stand and deliver. Like that's the that's the zoot Edward suit? James Olmos. Really? <laughs> like in, yeah, I know Zoot Suit, but, which is kind of America. Me taps into that kind of uh, aspect. Uh, of uh, Ghost Dad on Dexter. <laughs> oh, there's a deep cut. He's uh, a hardworking character. Uh, actually, he is. It, it, I like the way they present. Oh, well, oh go ahead. Miami Vice. I think he was on. Yeah. For a yeah. While. Oh yeah, he was the yeah. he was the captain on Miami Vice for years. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't watch Miami uh, Vice, right. though, but like. <laughs> yes. Well, that's your mistake, buddy. I'm sorry. I can't tell you what you learn in school. Okay. <laughs> but I really like the way they portray him. Yeah, Battlestar. Yeah, Battlestar is great too. I'm sure he's good in it. I just never watched Battlestar. That's all. It didn't end well. Anyway. Uh, in this, I like the way they portray him as like being the even hipper street cop than yeah. Deckard. You know what I mean? Like he's like the well, next generation of Blade Runner. If you subscribe to Deckard being a replicant and the right. cops know he is, he could be the guy who's you know His basically handler. the Blade Runner for Deckard, making sure he keeps the task. And you know, who knows? Maybe Deckard's just now being tested. This is maybe my he, favorite funny Harrison around. Ford scene right here, where he where he punches him. He pulls him back, and then he answers his question. It's just, it's just the, yeah. that's the, like that's the most Ford stuff that we get in the movie. Sorry, Ben, I was just like that's <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I just yeah, you could subscribe that like you know Edward no James always has like his tab. He's, he's always finding his origami. Yeah, I mean, if you want a, a clear a clear line to reasons why Deckard could be a replicant, that, that, yeah, those yeah. those aspects certainly are the ones that add into it a lot. Well, when you fall in love with Sean Young as she is <laughs> and she is a replicant, it would affect you emotionally in that way, and you would start to think about it yourself. The very question of whether we don't know is the answer. You know, that's the whole point. How could you know? Right. Unless there was someone who had data, you know, they're the same thing. How could you know? And how these these people don't even I mean they have memories. They someone have, told them, yeah. We know when you were born. You were born on this day five years ago. I'm assuming if Harrison Ford was a replicant, they would also know where he came from if he's a cop. You know. Brian James has some great evil in this movie. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. He always does good, crazy evil. He's got this intense energy, yeah. Tangling cash. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like the, the, most... horror, the horror show. Uh, Southern Comfort, the Walter Hill movie he's good in. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he is. Asian guy, yeah. I like him being good, or at least goodish, in uh, The Fifth Element, where it's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he's and just, the, like, player, he's a the player, he's like the studio boss. Oh, yeah, the, colonel, he's, uh, the player, he's great. <laughs> and yeah. Tan Brian James is the studio boss. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
So she just murdered him. <laughs> He's gone. He's out yeah. of the scenario. <laughs> Look at that coat, man. She is just like 1940s Fantasia mm. gone. Cra- it's just amazing how they visualize Sean Young in this thing. He's the amazing. Cruella, Cruella DeVille's coat after 1001 Dalmatians. Yeah. yeah. Everything with this movie, it's idea of the future. It's extravagant, yet it feels like you've been there or you could go there. Yeah. It's It's got a weird balance. This, of course, couldn't be more Humphrey Bogart right here, you know. Oh, yeah. woman has come to your office, and she has questions, and you're attracted to her, but get out of here, lady. Like, there's, there's a lot of signifiers in this movie letting you know that it's attempting to update film noir, you know. Mm-hmm. This point Which is not movie. a context I would have had as a 13-year-old. Oh, no, no, no. It's just something you keep right. going. When you go back to it, you, you learn more. Where you are at in life is gives you a different perspective on Blade Runner. Exactly. Like, I love that. That's what makes a movie great. They, they, mm-hmm. they change every time you see them. I love that. Yep. Movie. Right. Absolutely. And that's what Blade Runner, like, every time, man, I, there's always something. Like Kubrick. Like Kubrick movies. You can watch those yeah. any number of times, and it's a different movie. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, like a Garfield, a Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. I mean, <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. This, um, this point in the movie is where I think audience is, is where the movie flopped. I think the, the I, I, if I wanted to, like, parse out the parse stages... Out. If I want to parse out the stages of this movie, I mean, you get the intro that sets things up. Audiences are interested. You get Harrison Ford walking around. It's just like, okay, I'm still digging to this. You get the mystery of this world and learning about it, and you get it. Then you get a whole action sequence involving him actually murdering replicants. And it's like, okay, all that was good. And then you get to a lot of this, which is like a half hour of, of uh, Harrison Ford just kind of sitting around the house talking to Sean Young and whatnot before it gets to the finale. And I feel like this is the part where audiences are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be thinking of this movie, and that's why it flopped. I think that's kind of, kind of what happens here. Yeah, this is the heart this of the movie. This kid, this oh yeah, it's the heart of the movie for sure. It's the stuff you know. This is where a lot of meaning comes into the movie, is whatnot. Well, the critics didn't like it either. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the voiceover okay. and they, that always feels like you're being talked down to, you know. By that point, when, no movie that has voiceover gets 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 away with it unless it's really artful. The so the critics un- will feel like you're talking down to the audience by having someone mm-hmm. explain. So the other argument about like replicant stuff is like that the red glow in the eyes and how it's very pronounced on the obvious replicants, and then Decker gets it like in one scene. Yeah, he walks through the dark here in a little bit, and it just flashes quickly, and then really has to have like a little moment on the, the documentary about like yeah, I added it there because I think this. Like, dude, you take that if you think you know what it is, and like I said, it's not important. Take that to the grave. Like you think, you think uh, one day that David Lynch is going to tell us what Eraserhead's about? I, I mean, that's no, the, I, that's the. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I think it, it's, it's a director can do whatever he wants as far as it talking can. about what he means. I mean, like Guillermo del Toro has talked about well, what he thinks about guy. Pan's he's Labyrinth. Like, David I don't think Lynch. less of Pan's Labyrinth yeah. than Guillermo del Toro because he has a, a strong opinion on if the fantasy is real or not. Yeah, right. Some guys like breaking it down for you, and some guys don't. I don't think it's a measure of. But I mean, just like uh, Aronofsky here with Mother, like. Why'd you have to tell us opening weekend? Like, let people yeah, stew I, I on have it. More for a bit. With the, yeah, I have more problem with the kind of the closeness to when we're getting mm-hmm. this information. Like, it's not like in 82, Ridley Scott was going all on about, like, how, how yeah, we're right, going right. yeah. to get I mean, it's just a good mark of people saw this movie in 1982 and loved it. It must have been painful to watch it get so uh, smashed at the box office. But here it is many years later, and it's hugely popular, famous movie that's getting a sequel. I mean, I think these good things last, you know, these good movies, they last. Now, how do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about like it having a sequel? I felt like you know when they announced this, I'm like, I feel like Blade Runner said everything it had to say. I yeah. completely agree. I agree. <laughs> I uh, mean, you know, it looks good. I mean, the, those all, first tweets have been good. 
Right. All I have to say is, you know what? Whatever the story is, as long as it gives me the feel, you know, the the music, the visuals, and stuff like that, I, I'll care less about the plot because I, you know, I wasn't really asking for one. Even though this is one of my favorite movies ever, if I can get a nice jaunt back in that feeling again. That's that'll be good enough for me. Yeah, that's that, like my expectation. Well, that's which, why I get. That's why I'm so concerned about the fact that it's two hours and forty five minutes. Where like mm-hmm. I'm not against a long movie, but like the entire marketing campaign's been so you know secretive about what's actually happening. Where I'm like, well, what is happening? Because like I got a Ghost in the Shell movie this year, which I also was I wasn't excited. I was less excited for. I'm excited for Blade Runner. Let me put that out there. But like mm-hmm. I was less excited for Ghost in the Shell just because it's like, what does this movie have to say to me about? AI because I've learned all that in the 90s like there's nothing mm-hmm. new here and that's what I'm concerned with Blade Runner it's like what ideas can really be tapped into that are fresh or whatnot that are thematically interesting now uh, compared to when this movie came out let alone the myriad of inspirational sci- in- sci-fi movies inspired by that movie from from 82 it's like what, what does this movie have to do if it's so if it's it's not just a jaunt it's like a damn lecture because it's that long it's like i hope it has something up its sleeves because i'm very curious what that is it's I a think, sequel I think... to a flop you don't get a lot of sequels to flop tron they did a sequel how many times do you get a big budget sequel to a notorious flop the so, thing it's strange that that when that happens because you're like don't I, you know it's gonna flop again i just get the feeling <laughs> yeah that... then they flop again yeah <laughs> I just get the feeling with as much money yeah, as they spent. This is the most striking image. The way she pulls her curl down into the frame reveals her lushness. It's just this. Sorry, <laughs> this this is one of my favorite images in any '80s movie. Look at that. That's amazing. Well, it also symbolizes her like uh, stepping away from perfection. You know what I mean? Stepping sure. away from that uh, image that Tyrell has of her and kind of seeing herself as a person rather than a. Look at that. You know, it lets us fall in love with her like he's falling in love with her. No woman in real life, I think, looks like that. That's a construction of, of the actress and the cinematographer. I mean, like, that's an amazing, that's a, that's a cinematic landmark in my book, that last 30 seconds. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Jim, what were you no, saying? that's cool. I was just going to say about the new movie. Imagine the very, very best Blade Runner sequel that could possibly be made. That movie still is not going to make money rated R and at two and a half hours. And as much as they spent, as much as they spent on it, you know, I want it to be the best Blade Runner sequel possible. I didn't really think Blade Runner needed a sequel per se. Uh, like Brandon said, I thought it was pretty well contained. It's like one of those movies I thought was great on its own that didn't need a sequel, a sequel, you know, like escape from New York. But, um, the, uh, I just really think like it could be the, the most killer, awesome Blade Runner movie ever you know as good as the original if not better on its own and it still isn't going to make its money back because of how long it is and because it's rated r well you know we don't own the studios thank god so as long as it's a good movie i'll be happy. yeah well, see, I mean, too. I mean, there's plenty there's... All, all i want is a good movie too but i'm just saying you know to, but to, no, honestly... I, think, I think you're right i think you're right i think and it'll, and it'll be measured by that if it flops then for a year everyone will talk shit about it but then a few years from now everybody will be saying it's great because after a year the people that would talk crap about it won't care about it anymore but the people who like it will keep talking about it, and it'll survive on if it's good. To be fair, I mean, as far as like box office prospectation goes, I mean, the, some of the biggest movies of all time are also some of the longest movies. I mean, there is. I'm, no, I'm no Scott Mendelson, okay? I'm just making my prediction. I mean, but like Avatar, Titanic, they're both over two and a half hours. Star Wars isn't short. The Force Awakens, uh, I mean, Avengers is two and a half hours. Dark Knight's two and a half hours. I mean. They, 
audiences can be That's patient. Yeah. Audiences right. have, have plenty of patience in their life. It's just a matter. Of, I hope you know. I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. If, you think... the, if you give them the bang for their buck, like Fury Road was not a huge hit, but it obviously delivered on the action. I'm assuming this is not an action movie. So if it's not an action movie, if it's purely speculative sci-fi, then yeah, no matter how brilliant it is, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there's it's... not that much action in Avatar either. <laughs> Avatar like was Avatar yeah, wasn't rated R though. No, that's the I, I, I know, rated R, and I know what you, I I agree with you on that. There, that is a, that is a, a uh, an area to consider as well. That it's an it's an R rated, presumably existential sci fi drama. It's not a you know a, a hardcore action movie featuring Ryan Johnson and Ryan Johnson, uh, Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford <laughs> standing back to back with guns blazing the whole movie. <laughs> but, um... yeah, I, I think part of it is you know the length is just kind of like you know what. I don't think they're planning on making a big universe out of this one. They're right, like, no. this is a, 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 we're made a sequel to a flop and it's probably been a lot of the money has come from like residuals from, or, you know, money they've made off selling this like hotcakes on home video for years. Oh yeah. I mean, and it's the, popular the... there. So they're just like, you know what? This is our one. Here you go. Fans. And if, if fans know it's two hours and 45 minutes, a lot of them be like, Oh, they haven't messed with this at all. They're just going to mm-hmm. let it be what it is. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's I mean, a really good point. And surely the scene where Jared Leto stabs Harrison Ford on a catwalk will be pretty close. You know, that'll that'll really register with a lot of people also. Um, then he falls to his death. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I just think that it's... Good. I'm sorry. I, I'm just yeah. going to say, I think it's going to end up much like the original, where, you know, it's not, it's going to be underserved in the theater, but a lot of people are going to catch it at home. The budget doesn't help because it's expensive, it's but I mean, the know? it's tracking at like 45 right now, but this is not, you know, this doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Uh, can we it's talk- not the kind of thing where if it's not a hit, we don't get any more, because like we're saying, is it really going to be a franchise? Probably not. Can we talk? Yeah. They made it as a gift. Can we? Can yeah, we talk about some... the, 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 the box office is their problem? You know. Can, can we talk about Sebastian's workshop for a second? Because there's a lot of interesting yeah. guys in here, including that little guy that's sitting there with the big nose. Mm-hmm. Creepy. <laughs> Mainly because he's human, and so like the way he looks around at things, it's just. Right. Like... You got Daryl she's Han- like a replicant, right? Yeah. Daryl, Daryl Hannah's role—it's like she's she's made herself up to look more and more robotic, which is right. We, I mean, of all the you know, she's like the free, she's the most free spirited of the replicants, but she's also seemingly the most like happy to be a replicant, if that makes sense. Like the rest are really striving to play up the humanity and even mask it at times. Where well, she's the youngest one. She's the youngest, but she's also she's she she's happy to play around and you know do human type stuff but she's also she dresses up and you know this kind of mannequin look and whatnot and doesn't you know shy away from the fact that she's a replicant she's proud of that they're all very different too i just realized that the five or six replicants we see are not in any way like androids from classic sci-fi where they're all the same they're very specifically different you know brian Mm -hmm. james and daryl hannah it's interesting and they even had uh two of them that they lost before this that they they have conversation about like like two people you know talk about you know losing friends and stuff where a robot you'd think would be much colder. They're brokenhearted about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah they don't they don't like how it's been treated. And Brian James is mad about Zora being killed the way she is. It's not so much that he killed her; it's the how he treated her and hunted her down. Those characters are making the most emotional connections with the audience of anybody in the movie. Much like I mean, much like Hal does in two thousand one. <laughs> like he's more human point. than yeah. um than uh, Bowman or um what's the fuck. Um, <laughs> it's always Lockwood, so sad. Gary Lockwood, the, uh, Gary Lockwood, Gary thank Lockwood. you. Yeah. yeah, it's always so sad when they're when they're when they're taking Hal down. Why is it sad? But it's always sad. Let's talk about Rucker Hauer a bit because he's awesome. 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, in, a, in a better world, this would have been a liftoff for superstardom mm-hmm. for him. So, like, Brandon, I just watched Nighthawks for the first time last night. Oh, yep. I love Nighthawks. Yep. Good yep. movie. I like Nighthawks. Good movie. Yeah. I, got this, I got that screen, that Shout Select Blu-ray. Um, yep. it's a fu- it's a really solid kind of gritty kind of buddy cop movie I guess because they are it does you know Lando and it, you know, it's like a, it's like a it's like a horror man. a horror police procedural cop thing yeah yeah it's, it's like, like Stallone it's, wants to be Pacino in a movie in Serpia yeah, he's like he's playing Serpico yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's as if you have Serpico and like Kevin Spacey in Seven but you get a lot more of Spacey before the reveal. Right, um, and, yeah, yeah. and Howard is great in that movie. He's the best part of the, yeah. the movie. Like he's yeah. fantastic. Now this movie is is like the next year, right? Like it's right after Nighthawks because yep. that was his first American movie. This is like this guy is amazing. <laughs> like he's he was already really like like it's hard not to look at him in Nighthawks. This movie, it's like he has all kinds of depth in the what twenty minutes he's maybe in it. Like it's fantastic. Right? Yeah, he's. I mean, he was a rock star um, before this, and like he he's in that era of like. You know they they made Bowie a movie star and like he kind of has that vibe. They they didn't not, make not, Sting a movie star. Sting, Sting <laughs> well they, yeah, Sting fails a couple years later in trying to do this like same thing, almost looking like a Rucker Hour uh-huh. in Dune. But but well, that's he's... the kind of vibe. They're different presences, but I think that's the kind of thing they're going for here. Is like another Bowie. He's great in his first movies, which are with Paul Verhoeven, those Dutch yes. movies, yeah, like, Turkish Turkish Delight and stuff. He may just be too extreme or methody an actor to have ever really taken to the Hollywood system. Because I'm thinking after this, well, The Hitcher was a big one. But well, that... he, gets oh, kinda, yeah. he gets kind of oh, typecast yeah. for a long Lady, time. Lady right? Hawk, don't forget that. Yeah, Lady, he's, yeah, got a, he's got like an otherness to him, I think, you know, that's essential to who he is. That, that I think is not just not really big star material. That's surviving the game with Ice T. Oh boy, that's a movie. Surviving the- my my the- personal favorite is Blind Fury, where he plays the blind uh, ninja master who like uh, <laughs> dispenses yeah. justice. And that's yeah. forget we, he got put in Batman Begins. Yeah. 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 Well, the, see, the, the the missed opportunity I always saw is like Nolan makes uh, the Prestige, which has David Bowie and everybody else, but it's like. And then he gets Rutger Hauer and Batman Begins before that. It's like, how could you not put Rutger Hauer and David Bowie in a movie together? That would have been something. I would have loved oh, to see gosh. that Like in some point. It feels like that was like always like some weird buddy movie that never existed. And it's like, Nolan seems to have the connection with these two guys. Get them together. Like, that would have been something, yeah. been something really crazy. Why couldn't he be an Edison in, um, in The Prestige? Give an Edison scene to Rutger Hauer. He was in Did they ever give him too. a big American movie to star in? I'm trying to think. Did they ever give Rutger Hauer like a big starring role in an American movie and it didn't work out? Well, like Blind Fury, I think it's one of them. Right that now. was like oh, Hobo with like, a shotgun. The end of the decade. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's so much later. Like, why didn't he get? Well, I guess Lady Hawk was in. Well, oh, yeah, Lady yeah. Hawk was big. Yeah, he was and, like, Lady Hawk. I mean, the Hitcher he's playing. A, you know, a Hitcher was an HBO movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that Hitcher, played theatrical, yeah. but it played yeah. theatrical. Yeah, okay. I do know. It was one of the first HBO produced movies, though. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's, yeah. I guess Lady Hawk. Yeah, was like one of I even though it's you know it's like a Matthew Broderick movie, but like it. But I mean, his movies weren't making box office to give him that launch. This wasn't like no, you know, sure. Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch back then, you actually had to earn your stripes being being on the act. <laughs> well, I think yeah, yeah like, but you like, think it's, like... the, it's still the era of the director back then, still from the new Hollywood era. Somebody right. would have thought to give him a lead role. He must just be sort of a temperamental actor like a brando i don't think that's the case no, I, no, I think i think like yancey it's like you said i mean he i like rucker howard but i also don't necessarily see him as a guy that's a leading man in movies i i, I see him yeah. as this kind of character actor guy well, that can play intensity 
to it. He starts he starts out playing devious, memorable villains. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you want to yeah. do you going to go put money down to watch him play a hero in the next movie? Like it's I I you know. yeah exactly for not for you know not for all audiences for sure that yeah I right that. yeah the general audience will you know corner somebody when they're that good um but was, was he their first choice for uh for, for baddie for baddie that's a fun I question uh, i know ford was like choice number 12 for them yeah, like that, yeah. that's, oh, that's oh, the really? career what of harrison they... uh dustin hoffman was number one uh um, okay there's some weird people and in, in dangerous days the fantastic three-hour documentary on making this movie they show a picture of a list of who they were going for i think there was some weird richard dreyfus <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he was in there. Um, I think Jack Nicholson's name may, may have been on the list, but like there was like twelve names before they thought Harrison Ford. There was like big name actor that we could try for, and then there was another list, a separate list of ten names of like up and coming people we might go for. And there's like musicians in there. Uh, just it's it's fantastic. I'll see if I can find it. But um, I'm looking right now too. Um, but... but I know Dustin Hoffman was like tops. But he didn't would have been an entirely different movie with that. Oh movie yeah, with the yeah. Dustin Hoffman was tops for a lot of things back in the day. Like there's there's a lot of yeah, things. He that was. People, people, yeah. Dustin Hoffman was a was a huge force in the you know in the seventies eighties. I mean, he, after, for sure. After graduating, sure. he became a huge like you know commercial star for the things. I mean, something like Marathon Man's like that's what yeah, Dustin man. Hoffman blockbuster yeah. movie. That, like, well, think uh, of that era. That just breaks my heart. Nicholson, Hoffman, Pacino, De Niro, those are the big stars. America was full of hot media. Great actors. You don't have that now. It's just you know, pretty largely pretty boys. Those guys were something else. That was that was such a rich era. I guess Ishtar was sort of the end of that moment for all of them. Well, Pacino and De Niro stuck around a little longer. <laughs> they did, but in terms of expecting to be treated like the leading, I hear you. Yeah. You no, know, Baby went off and became a director. I guess Hoffman. Hoffman tried though with the. Outbreak and a few other sphere, right? Hoffman's he's incredible. Done, I mean, Hoffman's he's, had some. He's, gonna, he's had some bad. He's had some shit, but like he's yeah. he's done he's less. Always, wait, 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 He's had so he's had some. He's had. I think he's had more of a respectable older man career than Pacino or De Niro. I, I think he's done for a sure, number of sure. interesting projects that are, you know, that play up his strengths more than just you know making him like be the funny guy or be the guy that yells at things. For sure, for sure, that's absolutely true. Those other guys have sold out to De Niro. I like, found it. I found it. Um, uh, Dustin Hoffman wanted it. was original choice. You have also Tommy Lee Jones, Gene Hackman, Sean Connery, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Al Pacino, Burt Reynolds, William Devane, Raul Julia, wow. Scott Glenn, Frederick Forrest, Robert Duvall, Judd Hirsch, Cliff Gorman, Peter Falk, Nick Nolte, and Christopher Walken. Martin Sheen. Peter Falk? Oh, my God. That would be great. Martin Sheen turned it down because he was too exhausted from Apocalypse Now. Was somebody a big uh, Rolling Thunder fan if they had Devane and Tommy Lee Jones on there? But <laughs> well, I can see both those guys in this kind of hard-boiled story. You know? Right. That, those were their like second tier. Like, okay, we can't get a big star, but we'll get we'll get this movie made and we'll have one of them. Like that's why I said I the list is back. In Tommy Lee Jones maybe was headed for stardom. He might have been a big star too. You know, he wasn't. Here, I mean, he wasn't Dustin Saturday. Hoffman. No, but I mean, he's more of a movie star, sort of rugged-looking guy. I think that it wasn't decided yet that Tommy Lee Jones was kind of not going to be a big star, but more of a right. character. N- Nicholson would have been just doing Chinatown, but it'd be too distracting. He'd take over the movie. Yeah. No, he would have done this. He, they would have, I'm sure it would have been the same thing. Like, why is Nicholson so tamped down in this? Why is Paul Newman I'd be curious to... about. Like, Paul Newman was trying to tap oh, into that yeah. similar territory that Ford was, where it's like, let's, let's, let me do something understated for a change of pace. 
But Dustin yeah, Hoffman would have changed this thing completely. Oh yeah, well, it'd be yeah. too. It'd be all nervousy <laughs> watching them walking around. Oh, he can play. Hoffman can I know play he can. Dick, I know. Dick really well. I think he would have been more like even colder, more much more of a, a yeah, like, jerk than like, like Tootsie. Decker comes up. <laughs> yeah. He has a new movie, uh, the Noah Birnbaum movie from Netflix, right, with uh, Ben Stiller and uh, Adam Sandler. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. My yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that the other day. It looked good. Good. I'm really interested what kind of person Gosling is because I mean we don't the trailers give us but they don't uh, just to see if he kind of presence he gives I don't see Gosling doing much to change it up from something that he's done in the Nicholas Bending Refn movies right well that's what I'm wondering I'm like is he just going for that again or are we going to get something else that would be similar to what Harrison Ford does here it's very little sort right. of well you also want to well Harrison Ford's probably going to be playing bigger in the sequel than he does in this movie also so i guess i'm not going to say he's going to play it differently than harrison ford because he needs somebody to be the straight man do we know how much harrison ford is even in it 12 minutes i'm kidding i don't know he's probably no. the whole day I, i've seen him in his t-shirt i've seen him in like in the trailers i've seen him in two completely different locales and yeah. two different outfits so. watch him watch him die in the second scene i don't a flashback i don't see anything yeah. else for rucker Hauer as far as other actors considered Joe Turkel is quite good in this movie. Also, everybody's good oh, in this yeah. movie, but oh, like, everyone and everyone has a look. Everyone has something going for them, so it's like they all stand out. <laughs> I mean, Joe Turkel from The Shining and The Killing, uh, The Killer, uh, The Killing, right? He's in a couple and had some. He's in three Kubrick movies. That guy, yeah, this guy, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. This this movie gets complained about by people that don't like it about it being like too cold or whatever. Yeah, sure. But like, I don't, I don't buy. It. I mean, with what this movie is really about and stuff, it's. I don't know. It's got characters. It's, deep. it's not straightforward to. It's not spoon fed, but I don't. I don't think it's cold. It's not melodramatic. It doesn't. It doesn't overplay. Right. You know. I, I got... Some audiences at this point are thinking are are counting on the movie to really suck them in, like in a melodramatic way. This movie is much more subtle. It's a really mm-hmm. subtle movie. I, you know? I got the Rucker Howard scoop right here. Ridley Scott cast Rucker Howard in the role of Roy Batty without actually meeting the actor. He watched his performance in Turkish Delight, Katie Tipple, and Soldier of Orange, the Verhoeven movies, and was so yeah. impressed he cast him immediately. However, <laughs> for their first meeting, Howard decided to Howard decided to play a joke on Scott, and he turned up wearing huge green sunglasses, pink satin pants, and a white sweater with an image of a fox in the front. According to production executive Catherine Harbour, when Scott saw Howard, he literally turned white. Ah. Yeah, see? Weird guy, I'm sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Oh, well, here, interesting here, actor guy. Did, he's like, what is he Danish? Is that what Rucker Howard is? Isn't he German? No, he's he was German. Is he German? Well, he's wherever. What's Paul Verhoeven? Dutch, Netherlands. Right? He's Scand- he's Scandinavian. He's right, from yeah, the okay. Netherlands. He's a, okay. We just had the uh, father fucker scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so people those like, is he saying fucker or is he saying father, or is he saying fucker like you like it to sound like father? That was always a I was, debate. I was going to say real quick that Howard's like the Christopher Walken of the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, we have a replicant owl. Oh yeah, that's been flying all over the place. Does Sanderson yeah. die? We assume Sanderson died, right? I think so. Sebastian, yeah. sorry. I think yeah. he killed him. I mean, there's no reason. To then why he stops killing? Like he knows he's going to die in about 25 minutes. Why does he not kill Harrison Ford? Does he have purpose? He... Does he have purpose at this point? Because he's having a conscience. He's 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 evolving. The machine, yeah. The, the, the I don't whatever. think so. I think he's just. I think he's just a sort of accomplished or an enlightened being to begin with on some level i think he, he he had this emotional thing to do with his dad but 
I, I don't think he's going to kill someone that there's no reason to kill him, probably. He has seen things you never dreamed of. Although he did... Just I mean, like, which is Rutger Howard's finest moment in any movie is that speech, right? That's Well, that, that and did you get the memo? But, uh, I mean... The, yeah. <laughs> um, is that well, from Batman it, Forever? Uh, begins, there was yeah. a yeah. alternate alternate uh, parts of the script where um, Tyrell was going to be a replicant himself when he killed him. Mm-hmm. And really? then they find out that he was actually... He was, like in another room, like he's been cryogenically frozen or something. There was something to do with that, but they dropped it and went with just him dying. I've got a feeling that the new one is going to have something to do with there being more replicants than were previously known about or something. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, what's the deal? There, there haven't been replicants for so long, and then in, like, 2048, they say, Jared Leto, you can you can build replicants again. Yeah. But, you're, but mine are... Mine are different. You can watch Mine. the you can watch the two short films by Luke Scott in the third anime film from uh, Shinichiro and Watanabe. Um, for those that are listening, um, mm-hmm. the anime is the best one easily. Uh, oh yeah, mainly because I I don't really care about Jared Anto- Jared Leto's antics at this point, but I do like the Dave Bautista one. That was fun. <laughs> I like Jared Leto just because of the Joker. Now everybody hates him. He's good. No, I, I before that, mm. I was kind of fed up with Jared Leto. He was terrific in that movie that he won the Oscar for. He's good in it. I, yeah, I mean, he committed. Well, I think people don't Aaron, like him. Aaron liked him best in Fight Club when he got the crap beat out of him. I That's do, like, I do like him in Fight Club. I do think he's very good in Fight Club. I mean, he, he also happens to get the crap beat out of him. I liked him in uh, Panic Room, too. He's, he's great in Panic Room with yeah. the dreadlocks. Yeah, I think for like a space cornrow, character, sorry. he's pretty good. I don't think he's a bad actor. I'm just I'm tired of hearing about him. I'd rather, yeah. I'm happier just watching yeah. him than hearing about the things he did. Oh, like, like in preparation for the Joker, the sort of act. Yeah, the, that stuff, thing. or like yeah. blinding himself for Blade Run. It's like I don't care, dude. Yeah. Just show up. Yeah. Just be on yeah. screen. It reminds me of like that story I heard. Actually, it's about Dustin Hoffman when he was filming Marathon Man, mm-hmm. and you know he kept himself awake for three days straight before you know the torture scenes. So he'd be like all strung out and, and be a you know method actor and everything. And uh, and Olivier heard about that and he's like, "Why don't you just act that way, my boy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why well, you just try acting? <laughs> yeah, try, just try yeah, acting. Well, if you get there, if you get there, that's how you get there." You know? I guess, but it's just, I've um, never quite understood the method thing either. I, I think I know what Olivier means, but it certainly works for some guys. I guess. <laughs> you know, like all those guys we were talking about, Pacino and De Niro and Nicholson, all those yeah. guys. You know. This movie looks so good, but I mean, I'm just watching. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it looks so good. Every, this is every Jor- shot. Jeff Cronenweth. Jordan, who's the cinematographer? It's here, Jordan right? Cronenweth. Jeff Cronenweth's his son, who would also be Jordan the, Cronenweth. He's a, Jordan Cronenweth. Um, Stop making sense. He shot the, the Talking Heads concert movie. Yeah, just that. Um, Peggy Sue got married. Peggy Sue got married. Yeah. Um, he won. He did. He win an Oscar. I think he was nominated for an Oscar for um, for um, for uh, for Peggy Sue got married. Um, and yeah, his son Jeff Cronenworth. He does a lot of David Fincher's movies. Fincher, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy was one of the greats. I mean, this is yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Again, I think that's why it holds up because it's so striking visually. I mean, I mean you can watch it or no, sound yeah. off. You yeah. can watch this with the sound off or just an isolated score, which I'm surprised they haven't offered an isolated score track. Yeah, that's Twilight Blade Runner before. <laughs> uh, you know what else is interesting is look at this. What we're seeing in this movie, it's a science fiction movie, but a lot of the things are, are like 40s iconography. They're, they're, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, like it's not really 1982, so it's not rooted in any fashion that's going to really change. It's sort well, of, it's got a mixture of like Japanese culture in with it too. 
Yeah, it seems to have taken over. And time. it's always going to be cool because it was legitimate. It wasn't following a faction that was a trendsetter. But that's so right. you can't really ever be dated. I was going to say that's why something like Firefly or Serenity works well enough because even though it leans heavily into the kind of Western trope, I mean, it does have this incorporation of Chinese culture as well as American culture. Like it just got, it blends things in a, a way that does feel, you know, loosely inspired by Blade Runner. And they don't explain the Japanese uh, stuff at all. Is that in the book? But the, in this movie, the... just the, the Japanese culture stuff. Do they explain that at all in any in the book or in this movie? It's just sort of taken for granted. No, not really. It's just not really. I, I don't even know. Is the Japanese culture? I don't even know if that's a thing in the book. I don't think yeah, it I don't is. Know. I always I what I I love the uh, like you said the the forty forties tra- trappings and noir stuff or whatever. And the way they get away with this noir lighting by having like the the city lights and the blimps and everything, you know. The indirect lighting, lines, is, yeah. yeah, it's such a good conceit and such a great nod to those lighting and cinematography of those older movies. Well, that's why, that's like Batman the Animated Series, good. is a, such a fascinating show to me. Or even like why Gotham, for all its flaws, I think has such a. It's the best looking of these kind of superhero shows yeah. on t on, on TV compared to like The Flash and Arrow and whatnot. Like, regardless of quality, I do think there's a there's something to admire in the way that show looks compared to the other shows. Yeah. It's as a timeless quality. It's a nice Burton-esque uh, noir like mix to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, 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 embra- it embraces all the various Batman movies and puts it into one show, which is it's 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 both fr- it's frustrating at times, but also interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. Harrison Ford gets beaten up like crazy in this movie. It's amazing yeah. his neck no doesn't get snapped in this him, scene. Right? <laughs> The faces he makes when he's getting beaten up in movies are just peerless. Aren't they great? Oh, yeah. He, he loves, like, just go, like, throwing himself around the room. Like, he loves looking like an idiot getting his ass kicked. He's so good at it. Mary Lou Retton for the win. He flails a bit. I mean, <laughs> he likes to, he likes breath, to, use, he likes to move those arms around when he's, like, falling down and make that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. He loves that. He yeah, loves that. he loves that. <laughs> Like, watch Raiders. Watch the fight with the Nazi and Raiders on the plane. He's just, like, having a ball, like, just running around in the dirt and beat up. I think that's the secret of Harrison Ford's success, is that he's so believable in those kind of physical scenes. I really buy that he's going through these tense situations. Well, yeah, he makes it, it so he makes well. it so over the top that he's getting beaten up, so when he comes back and starts doing those those punches, it's like, yeah, finally, he's getting up and standing up for himself. Like, he really wants to see it happen. <laughs> even, Gar- even when it got crappy, like, Firewall or whatever, he still is selling it to me better than... Oh yeah. Another actor would have. They kidnapped my family. He just sells it. He just seems like he's. He just sells it. I'm stuff. already working around the clock. Yeah. He's always watchable for me. I can watch. See, this this scene is just scary too. And in te- yeah. the this finale. Yeah, the tense tension is great. I'll shout out Dark City as well, as far as kind of movies that incorporate a lot of mm-hmm. very specific imagery to make themselves look otherworldly, but also timeless. Well, that goes back so to specific. like German expressionism. Dark, oh yeah, Dark for City. sure. Yeah, that's all Fritz Lang inspired, as, as well as you know some sci-fi qualities. But yeah, that's it's a Lang. Which film. is also <laughs> that's also part of noir is is, is yeah. German expressionism. Oh yeah, <laughs> and those universal horror I'm, movies. You know? I put the Crow in that category too. Oh yeah, Alex Proyas. Very noir movie. and and uh, very like not, very kind of timeless quality. You know. Before he got all digital, like with iRobot and knowing, I mean, he, he certainly had a lot yeah. going in the, you know, in product and practical design. I miss Roger Ebert, man. Knowing was his favorite movie of that year. 
I, yep. I did not, not like knowing, movie, but, but I, I love uh, that he loved it. I yeah. love that he was so dedicated to it. I love I the end of knowing. The end of knowing is so bug fuck crazy. I just like it's great. <laughs> All right, so he's the last one now, right? The, I am uh, the last yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Ebert was a great champion of uh, genre films. I mean, he he wrote the first like really scholarly piece I can remember reading about. Not the horror genre. <laughs> well, he, he 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 liked Night of the Living Dead. He did, and he loved he, Dawn of the Dead. He gave that a four stars. Yeah. He didn't All like eighties horror. Really he didn't like eighties horror, Brandon. Like that, that's where he kind of drew the yeah. line. A lot of those guys, like Ebert and Malton, never could get past the gore. Right. They treated it like it was a moral thing in the movie, and for me, it was always just part of movies. It just mm-hmm. stops for them. That's why they. That's why they didn't like the thing. I don't know how you can miss how great that movie is, but it was just too grotesque for them, you know? Well, he, I mean, he criticized The Thing and this movie, The Blade Runner, for the same reasons. He thought the characters were too thin. That was his issue. That's his issue with these. He thinks the, the story's kind of simple and the characters are thin. He, and for, that, which seems strange to me, given that he seems like a guy that can really comprehend beyond just the basic storytelling structure and move into, the like you were saying, Yancey, like, you know, cinema. But, you know, well, he later did write a great. Oh, yeah, movie. He, yeah, he turned Blade Runner became a great movie for him, even though he kind of gave it a mixed review when he when it first came out. Well, it, like I said, this movie does not hustle you. It takes a long time to warm up to this movie. Well, per, perhaps seeing the uh, the director's cut might have helped as well, and not having the narration talk down to him and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's always painful, by the way, when he takes his fingers and breaks two of them. Oh yeah, and then he's like, "Here you go, shoot me." I you love do so much. Here's work. your gun. <laughs> I, Ridley Scott's great at texture. Um, I was saying that a second. He loved like the the look of the rest of this movie. Like it's already been rainy, but like this is these scenes are like where the rain's really. You see it on the walls. You see it seeping through in the atmosphere. Like it really feels like a textured film. And, this movie uh, overall is pretty moist. Oh, it man. is for sure. It's a very it's a wet <laughs> film. But like something I like about Ridley Scott and Tony Scott for that matter, they were big onto like the you know the smoky '80s feel. Where there's, uh-huh. a, yeah. there's a lot of smoke in their movies from this time. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who directed Adrian Lyne also. Adrian Lyne, yeah. Well, like, the 80s in general for, like, gritty dramas, like, they seemed to, like, smoke was huge in the 80s. Like, that was mm-hmm. like, how do you set atmosphere? Add a smoke machine. That'll do it. Like, even, like, Black Beverly Hills Cop 2 that, has yeah. smoke in it. Like, there's oh, yeah. just a lot of smoke. Well, like, Terry, like, Terry Gilliam used it, too. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> time Bandits. Yeah. Time Bandits, Brazil. Brazil. I mean, even the 12 Monkeys had that. Kind of yeah, smoky yeah. feel. Yeah, you know, like the mid '90s where it kind of faded out. Like, like, uh, like a few Jerry Bruckheimer films into the into the '90s. It's like, okay, we're we're slowly fading the smokiness out of movies finally. Well, Batman was still pretty smoky, right? Oh, Batman was heavy with the smoke. Yeah. yeah. Well, Batman uses the smoke. Like, it's a, it's a practical application in Batman. Well, I feel like there are like still like you know manhole covers that are spewing steam. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know. Oh. You know, at this point in the movie, we don't know Harrison Ford at all, and we're starting to know that Rector Howell is like this, almost like a Christ-like figure. So, this is in a weird position. Like, do we really like Harrison Ford in this? We, is this a guy we really like? As well, we're you, starting to like well, Rector Howell more, which is why I think Ridley Scott is so clever. And I mean, even though Harrison Ford's you know last, but even all the names he was going, anybody he cast in this part would have been a big name, a star. And I think that's what the there's, that's where the cleverness lies. It's that he's putting someone that you automatically want to root for. You have an inherent connection to this guy because he's this, you know, a guy that's known for playing characters that are iconic heroes in some degree. Uh, and that's Harrison Ford in a nutshell right there. So, like, you don't... And that's why, I like, a lot of movies I see today that get complained about when they're, like, the character supply is short. It's like, well, no, you have these, like, veteran actors involved. I don't need to know their life story. They have this guy playing it. Like, I get it already. The baggage they bring. He yeah, exactly. The baggage bring. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's this movie that the... the 
it may, it may have tricked audiences or you know been too much to comprehend at the time, but it's also wise enough to know like you know the movie knows that audiences are expecting a certain kind of thing. And so I love when he says, I see, I see you. Um, but so, <laughs> ha- so having Harrison Ford here is like, okay, yeah, the, the movie wants you to think, yeah, you're supposed to root for this guy and you'll probably end up loving him. But like, is, are you? That's exactly, that's the point, I think. That's, that's exactly what it's And what to do. do you really know about him other than you've been walking around with him? You've been walking around right. with him learning, learning stuff about other people. So it's playing. Yeah, all you know been... is that he's Harrison Ford and you like Harrison Ford. Yeah, it's playing. He, Harrison... himself, he doesn't do anything to endear himself to the audience on purpose, for sure. There's nothing he does except for his softness for for Sean Young is, is appealing, you know? It's just that we know it's Harrison Ford. I mean, there's that's, no that's, different that's than the, the guy in the... the... star of having movie stars, because you can right. them into things. We already think we know who they are, and either they are that or they aren't, but you can pivot, you know? Well, that's why mm-hmm. Ford's... That's why I've said Ford's, Ford's 80s career is so interesting, because he is playing a lot of different roles where he may... You may assume... or you, The baggage he brings kind of gives you a perception of what he is, but there's some there might be some more going on there uh, regardless of how much they give you as a character now there are other film like something like witness i think he has an actual character with an arc and everything to play in that film compared to something like this um which it's this still has an arc but yeah it's it's different i mean there's there's richer well, characters he's always had a pretty purposeful uh he's always taken a pretty strong hand in, in choosing material and stuff For sure like... yeah he, i mean <laughs> Yeah, he he chooses his things very specifically. It also comes with a paycheck that he's very much happy to explain that why he took certain roles. But he doesn't have yeah. an Oscar. Was, was his only Oscar nomination for Witness? Witness. Yep. Witness is the only one. He's yeah, I think he. I think he thought he was going to get one for Mosquito Coast. I think yeah. that was one he. No, he was. Yeah. Pissed, he was pissed off because the critics didn't like he's it. Got to win a supporting a supporting actor Oscar in the next five years. It has to happen. You know, he thought for. He's, he was gonna but win. he's he not doing movies. He's back to doing bigger movies now. That he he, I'd starting with uh, what was that that Cowboys Aliens movie that he yeah. him he took a turn where he's like you know I just want to be in movies people want to go see again, and that's what yeah, he's. Well, I mean, like he did Age of Adeline, which he's 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 been told yeah. to be very good at. Right. Like I mean, that's and that's pretty damn small. Like, I know what you're saying, Brandon. I mean, and you know, it probably helps. I'm just that... talking about what words that came out of his mouth. So oh yeah, I get that, and, I, and obviously it doesn't hurt that they're back in the Brinks truck in to bring out these old characters that he's played in his iconic form. Well, it's like they asked him at Comic-Con, you know, the the fan asked me, do you intend to bring back every old franchise that you were in and do another sequel to? And he said, you bet your ass I do. Yeah, I was was in that room. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. And he gave that grumpy old man for, that grumpy old man for a reaction. He's kidding, you know him. Oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. Well, he's a he's a he's a really chill guy. He's not big. It's it's funny how many comic cons he's now been to, um, because he's he's not. I mean, he doesn't not like fans. He's just kind of a to himself, really uh, quiet type right. person. Well, he's also uh, he's not I, interested I in those same who... questions like the you know the replicant question or like who would win in a fight, console or India. Like he doesn't care about that nonsense because it's nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who was his bodyguard for a few years, and he said he's like the nicest dude. He's just really chill, just uh, just wants things to be quiet <laughs> all the time. And there was a time when he was like a huge pot smoker. Is that still? Yeah, I heard yeah, that on, that was, on the that Greg Proops podcast. That, yeah, uh, that's what that my friend. That's what my friend said. He just he likes to get high and just relax and just be away well, from good people. Good for him. 
We love Harrison know. Ford. This is yeah, what I mean know. about the textured stuff, because like this whole like him just struggling to climb up this thing, and you just see the wetness on the cement. Like it's it looks like this looks like and a it's real a dirty struggle. wetness. It's not like yeah. just like okay, we poured water on it. Like yeah, it. it this just... was the cover of the second issue of the Marvel Comics adaptation. It was a stylized image of him hanging off the side of this building. It looked so exciting, you know. Imagine mm-hmm. the Marvel Comics two issue adaptation that came out at the same time, trying to get this across. <laughs> I have the Marvel super special version of that. It's... Same same thing, I think, right? Where they released Yeah, I just did a magazine sized. Yeah, Lost Heroes kind of went here. I picked up that and the adaptation of Close Encounters. Um... Oh, Somebody saw, uh... gave me a copy mm-hmm. of the, the 1941, and it's it's drawn by the guy who drew Swamp Thing, I think. Like the classic uh-huh. Swamp Thing. Stephen Bissett or somebody. Very cool. Yeah, he drew Swamp Thing, yeah. The 1941 was like, how would you, how would that work as a comic? <laughs> I used to love those octopussy I had. We're getting off topic. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> God, Batty's so cool looking. Like, he's just like, yeah. so like, Look at that. Make, where, why is he not the Terminator? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would have given you like the in-between between the Arnold and Lance Hendricks thing that yeah. you know, Cameron was kind of... In between choosing for the white OJ, so, white OJ, yes. <laughs> Did you know? He saves him, right? I mean, that's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. He he first he found that dove, <laughs> which yeah. I love. I love. The, I love. He's setting up his own demise. He's like, he's got, I'm going to be really theatrical about this. Let me get a dove somewhere, and he finds one. He puts. It in his <laughs> I wonder if John Woo liked that part. <laughs> And John Woo always put dove in his doves in his movies. John Woo. He's big on the doves. Yeah, yeah. he is. This may have been where that. Uh... But no, he put a, he just put a nail through his his hand. He's a Christ figure at this point, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. There's something specific about doves and John Woo, but that's a different commentary. We don't have to talk about that. Because uh, <laughs> it traces back older. Because John Woo's been making films around the same time as Ridley Scott was. He's been making films since like the early seventies. Um, yeah. His better films, right? In 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 China. Hong Kong. Hong Kong, right. Look at, I mean, the, just putting him right up front in the camera, the, like, the, the, having the blood on one side of the face clear on the other, the rain coming down. This is just, this is just great stuff with the shots. I mean, and his eyes are doing the acting, too. There's that shot. Even even that perspective shot of him looking down the street wasn't bad. (laughs) That's a crazy thing, film acting, to be able to do that with a camera right in your face and be convincing. Like, Ricker Howard is there. It's, something to know how much is too much and how much is not too much you know i was trying to see some meaning in the um because he takes his hand that has the nail in it and puts that nail and that nail presumably goes a little bit into harrison ford it's like they're like like blood brothers now or something like that like something along those lines well he knows he's a replicant i don't know yeah. i mean we can question that real quick <laughs> but let's let this scene play out before i start getting into the replicant stuff because then we got some time this, this movie ends with harrison ford on his back at the mercy of the bad guy who is who lets him live. That's not what a little kid expects to see in the movie, you know. Right. Not that this was marketed for little kids, but I couldn't help it. You know, it's Harrison Ford in science fiction. I remember as a kid seeing this and not realizing that Batty had died. You know what I mean? I saw he was kind of sitting there waiting to do something yeah. for a minute or two. Yeah, it is very strange. He just kind of stops. He just sits there, yeah. Yeah. This is a fantastic monologue. Oh gosh, yeah. Totally. Oh, so I, I mean, Howard wrote Classic. this, right? Didn't like Howard come back and write this thing? Yeah, he said, "Could you come up with something?" And he just came out and said it. 
Oh, Howard, Howard Kim was, wow. That's, yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. The sea beams and the, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's 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 super sci-fi, but super touchy. It's 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 crazy. I've it got works. a buddy. Every time we discuss some old memory of something that kind of makes us this touching to us, he always will text me, "Tears in the rain, tears in the rain." <laughs> when, a, when a beloved movie star or pop singer dies, tears in the rain. He'll text me. I know what he means. It's profound. It's 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 heartbreaking. I'd say this is some of Harrison Ford's best acting. Just the reaction shots he has to this too. Oh, it is great. In this film. Uh, yeah, look at that. What is he? Yeah. yeah. And, again, I've never seen the theatrical version, but there's narration over this. Where yeah. He, says he was goofy. dead. He says he's something like, dead. He, he says something then, like, and then he, like, he, t- he gave a speech. Away. He put his head down, and I think he died. There was water. What a life he had. <laughs> I went the to get more Chinese kills. food. It kills this moment, that narration. But without it, it certainly does feel like a vaguely, I don't want to say off-putting, but it's a definitely a different kind of what, movie. I mean, you wonder, you sit and wonder, you're like, did did uh, Roy Betty, did he accept death? Did he just run out of time? Was he disappointed with everything? Like, it's, it's like how, he's, I don't know how to read it. Like it's He's just like us. He's railing against the fact that it's a, a finite thing. Mm-hmm. It's that and, mixed in, like, I, and there's this kind of I need to share some sort of idea of what I was and what I'm thinking with somebody, and he finds Deckard. Oh, exactly. And like, give, yeah. and gives him a gives him a piece of perspective. The, all he can do in this time, where like, even when he's drilling that nail into his hands, like, I need more time. He's like, he needs to do something. He needs to communicate the fact that he he's not just a thing. Similar mm-hmm. to that great moment in AI when they're lifting Jude Law up, and he says, "I am. I was." Remember that scene yeah. in AI? Hey, Joe, what People's... do you know? I, Anna and I just watched AI like two weeks ago. Um, I've, I am, I was. I've said, come around to AI around. more. Um... <laughs> oh, great film. Masterpiece. Love it. And you know what he tells her before? He's like, you know, I, I've done all this stuff. I'm I'm a replicant. What have you done? What What have you seen? What have you, you know? Yeah. You just killed people, you know? So a little logistical. And that might lead Decker to be like, you know what? I need to do things. Some little logistical stuff about this replicant business. If he's a replicant, what is his, like, so they would make him, it just seems so weird to justify it, like, if he's actually a replicant, where it's like, so they randomly made one guy who has normal human strength, doesn't get it, uh, has to process things, also he could capture things that are super strong and better than him? It's a weird, like, I don't I don't understand well, the logic. Well, the, the, the goal... The, the goal is to make replicants that don't know the re- – like Rachel uh-huh. is a test of one that is such – she doesn't know it so much that she could pass off as human. That's what they're trying to do, yeah, and that's so... what Harrison Ford set to go there. So what if he's like the next step, which they're testing the next step as well? So, so is the idea there – You might there... have been born five minutes before the movie started, Harrison Ford, for all we know. Fair... Okay, so that's yeah. what, that was my next question. Then. So the idea – so if he was a replicant, he's supposed to be picked, p- depicted as this kind of world-weary re- Blade Runner – that's a. By the way, Blade Runner is such a cool name for something. It's I don't know oh, where yeah. it comes from. But oh, it's like a Blade Runner. Yeah, I want to grow up to go to college and be a Blade that. Runner. But um, <laughs> but so like, so those would be implanted memories then. Like he like like uh, what M. Emmett Walsh has never met Deckard before that moment, and then he just tells him, "It's like, yeah, you're like the best Blade Runner ever. You got to go find yeah. these things." That's, that's right. The they're idea. doing a Shutter Island out of they're Shutter. Yeah, they're Shutter Islanding him. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it could be. You could see that you could watch this movie with that asp- with that 
angle if you wanted. Oh, that that's, how, that's the brilliance of this movie. You're like, saying he be he could be a he and Mark Ruffalo could be duly appointed federal Blade Runners. Federal Marshal. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's what I like about this movie is that you can watch it with so many different ways, like angles and ways. Like I don't like the replicant Decker's replicant thing, um, but I could see I could take it and watch it with that idea and and find it through this movie, and that's why not spelling it out helps it so much. Yeah, if it was just, oh, yeah, he's a replicant, it would be like, oh, lame, twist ending. It's much more provocative to think that he now doesn't know whether he is or not. Right. It, it's kind of like the, uh... Believe it, you know, like, not knowing whether you're a robot, not knowing how you would tell is more interesting than, oh, I'm a robot, the end, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like the, the you can play a game with uh, Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. I'm like, what exactly is he? Like, I've yeah. had someone uh, give the angle that he's like an alien uh, taking the form of what he thinks... Uh, a human is on earth and you can watch that movie with that angle and it totally fits. It's wow. weird. Um, but it's sort of that ambiguity where you just, you know, we've gotten away from letting things just be or be a mystery. We've gotten this like, well, I have to know this. I have to know this. I have to know this. Or the director didn't do his job. He didn't finish telling the story. Yeah, That's my like, favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> I hate like, that. Like what it's, it, we focus so much in film on like unimportant details that we think people need that it's gotten away from letting your mind work, letting your mind. You know, I like a movie that challenges me, has me thinking about it afterwards, makes my mind spin. That, that's a good time for me. I also, you know, I also like to sit back and watch some stupid action and eat popcorn too, but I really like stuff that'll challenge me as well. You need and both. I think, I think everybody needs to have both. If you don't get both. Yeah. But there's people that just can't stand something that challenges or makes you think. Yeah, I think Mother has been like really divisive about that lately. For that right. Something reason. about it, it makes it offends people who don't get it. I don't know what it, it, it's 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 very much the service industry side of things. How dare you give me something I didn't pay for? You know. But guys, I don't know. what what about that unicorn? What about it? Why would right. it be there? <laughs> Maybe. Well, she won't live. It could be a it could be a coincidence though, right? He could just like he just breaks random origami. He <laughs> just added the shot from 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 Legend, right? He added the shot of the unicorn running through the woods for that night for the for the nineteen ninety whatever re release. Yeah, the, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, that's he did, the only yeah. thing he did to make it seem like he is or isn't a replicant, right? To further to further prod you, yes. Without that, it's nothing. But you is he only thinking that because? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's Edward not, James it's almost not... is putting it in his head. That he might think that, or yeah. But if we don't see Harrison Ford thinking about a unicorn, then that means nothing to us. Well, I think it's more. It just makes it more overt as you. You should be thinking about this now, as opposed to because you can still question it without having the unicorn stuff. I just think it is more Ridley Scott saying, "Hey, by, by the way, guys, why not this?" Hmm? <laughs> but of course, once, 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 uh, Edward Gibbs almost shows you one unicorn, you might remember about it anyway, whether you're a replicant or not. And did we know uh, Rachel only has the four-year lifespan? Do they make that clear? I don't know, but that makes the ending so much more, you know, well, lovers on the run. Is he taking a chance that maybe she'll live past that? No, he's just going to take what he can get with right, her. Right, yeah. That's not a logical true. move. And that's what know, he learned from Roy Batty is to just experience what you can while you can. They're on the road. They're gone, yeah. Lovers in a dangerous time. And then they live at the Overlook Hotel, right? That's how that version goes. Right? Yeah. 
the theatrical right ones. they took a for those that don't know they took the they took b-roll footage from the shining and added that to the end <laughs> to um to oh make the, make, that's right the driving happy, up from the make the happy ending for, i did not know that yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah it was yeah, that b- is, b-roll shining how... footage because warner brothers had you know shining so they're like okay despite how it, lo- it may look that yeah i don't think that ending is the ending where you want to see another story that's the end of the story is they're on the run the end what's going to happen well you got to figure it out yourself it's decidedly it really... weird too like so after all this rain in L.A., it's like now they're in like Colorado driving around. Just like, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious. I don't know anything about the plot, really. And I just came around on this movie like a month ago. So now I get to be excited about the new one. Do you it's like Dylan Dele- Villeneuve? I'm hot and cold. I love Prisoners. I haven't liked anything since. Uh, really? Prisoners is your go to? God. <laughs> I love Prisoners. I think Prisoners is like, like that's like seven. That's like that kind of movie for me. Yeah, Prisoners Genuine is... dark. I, think I Pris- like Prisoners. I think Prisoners but... is fine. I don't hate Prisoners. I just, it's like, of the films he's made, it's like, that's the least interesting to me. Like, Enemy is my favorite of his. I think it's... Oh, it's Prisoners is so dark. Oh, the genuine dark heart of this country. That movie's wonderful. Yeah, Enemy I thought was quite good. I didn't love um, the last one that he did. Arrival? Arrival? Yeah. I like Arrival. I like, the, I like Arrival for, for you know, you talk, you just talk about the dark heart. I loved Arrival for the fact that it had so much optimism within it, despite the kind of how the film ended I, I enjoyed a lot as far as the kind of what it says about hope um and i like sicario yeah, about, i mean sicario you want to talk about dark sicario is fucking dark well, yeah i didn't love sicario <laughs> either i felt like it was traffic all over again you know the, the, what's the, wrong with getting more traffic i mean you just got more seven in prisoners that's why i'm getting more traffic <laughs> i don't know arrival a better movie would not have had that michael stahlbarg stuffed shirt character that exists just for amy adams to make him look like a fool later a better, just... a, a better prisoners would be not two and a half hours and give Hugh Jackman hey, more of a character. That is, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're saying that. The movie is such a genuine, dark, striking movie. It just a feels like movie. it feels like a, a Criminal Minds episode after a while. Good lord, no. Gyllenhaal's that great in it. Like, that's for that sure. Feels like when people, no man, that is. Gyllenhaal's great movie. in that movie. I give I give Gyllenhaal all the credit in the world. He's really good in it. That is that movie has a genuine dark heart. It's a grown up movie. It's a fantastic movie. He has not filled that promise to me yet. I would have liked to like it more. It just, it's just very by the numbers after the halfway point. So uh, what Benicio Del Toro did at the end of Sicario didn't fulfill the dark heart? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> no, because it does, like, just like this movie, it's, it's it, it, the lead character, well, you know, the Hugh Jackman character is you're undecided at the end. You don't ever get to find out whether he's a decent person or a horrible person. I, I like that kind of movie. I like that. That's what a film noir. Is. I don't think Christmas is really a film noir, but but it has that same sense of real unease. I think it reminds me of Seven, which I think is a flawed but really great movie in that sort of way. That that pulpy, dark. You know, what can I say? I like. I was going to ask this question earlier, but we since we've reached the end of Blade Runner, I'll put it out now. Um, do, do you go Blade Runner or Alien? I know that's like that's a popular one. It's it's hard. I, well, I mean, I go Blade Runner, but Alien is not far behind because that's also, I believe, in my top ten, and Blade Runner's in my top five, so they're both don't, there. Don't ask me to choose one of my children, okay? <laughs> but guess what? It's okay. You can like both, and guess what? You're probably not wrong. I'm not Sophie. I'm not going to make the choice. I'm sorry. I love both movies. They're both like very formative movies for me growing up, and uh, they're both excellent, so... Beyond, beyond... I can say I think Alien is the is the is the better one. Alien I think is a stone cold masterpiece. 
Like this oh, is yeah. just a nuts. Well, point. you just recently came on a Blade Runner. Let's wait another ten years, Yancey. Let's wait another ten years. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. No, what? What? Beyond these two films, what is your favorite Ridley Scott film? Because Kingdom these are the two that always go over there. Kingdom of Heaven. So, I love, and you're all going to shoot me in the head, but I fucking love The Counselor. I think it's a brilliant movie. A brilliant movie. <laughs> Talk about a film noir. That is a brilliant movie. 20 years from now, you watch. The Counselor will have a huge cult. I think his movies recently have been stronger than in a while. I think uh, Prometheus, The Counselor, The Martian, and, and, and the new Alien movie, not counting the Moses one. I think that's a stronger run than he's put up in a while. There, I mean, Thumb and Louise is fantastic too. I love Thumb and Louise. I mean, we can go all over it, and we're running out of time here. But I think Black it's, Hawk it's, Down, it's a, Black a, Hawk Down is fantastic. I mean, Black, for me, I mean, there's a three year stretch where it's Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, and Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. I think are all right. spectacular. Matchstick Men is great. Matchstick Men is a fantastic I, movie. You know, I've never seen it. I've never seen. You ever seen Matchstick Men? Oh my god! I've always it's heard so... it's great. I, mean, Black, I always thought Black Rain was really underrated too. I was like, that's a good movie. movie. It's a good yeah. down the line action movie. It's just yeah, it's, exactly. It's, yeah, no, it's also a strong Black Rain is also a very legitimate film noir. That's another character that you don't love. He's compelling, but he's not a nice guy. It makes it an interesting thing, you know. Yeah. And Andy Garcia gets his head chopped off. I mean, it has fun things in it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but, um, sure. Nice for the kids, you know. Well, it's funny because like the most acclaim or like presume like in a while was gladiator and it's like gladiator is the movie i'm like yeah it's fine like that's 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 my regard i have for gladiator compared to so and then you had hannibal after that it's like oh, hannibal's not good oh but, i like hannibal oh, i think no. hannibal's underrated i like hannibal a good i like 40 minutes of hannibal <laughs> i like, I like the, all of it I think <laughs> underrated. Oh, but no i mean obviously ridley scott has plenty to have that that he's added to the kind of cinematic world um, and it'll be interesting to you know see where he goes in the years to come since he's not slowing down. I mean, he's making two movies this year and he's pushing eighty, right? I mean, he's, he's eighty. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, Clint Eastwood's eighty as well, right? That's crazy. Then they're you know making movies nonstop, so we'll, we'll see what happens in the years to come, with Mr. Scott. Especially if he wraps up this alien thing, whatever he's trying to do with it. Um, yeah, um, the trailer for All the Money in the World looks really good. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah, uh, it does look good. Yeah, I, I'm certainly interested to see what he does with it, and if. Kevin Spacey does more than just act under makeup, but we'll see what happens. But um, I think that's going to do it for our Blade Runner commentary, guys. We talked well past the movie having ended. Um, I hope anybody listening has got something out of this. I think we talked about a lot of different topics here. We tried to try to steer it as close to Blade Runner as we could, but obviously these commentaries go you know all over the place, and I like them for it. So uh, let's get to some plugs here real quick. Uh, Jim Dietz, where can people find more of your work online? At hhwlod.com, you can find the Walking Dead TV podcast and the DC TV podcast. At uh, TaylorNetworkOfPodcast.com, you can find Nothing's On and Spirit of 77, Heavy Gigs in Seaside City. And you can find me on Twitter at Yoda Jones. Brandon Peters, do you have enough podcasts to compete with Jim Dietz? I've got Colson McCavalcade, uh, ColsonMcCavalcade.com, and on iTunes. Um, and I also have a, a new uh, venture called Don't Flinch coming. And I'm sure through October, I'll be giving you plenty of details on the horror podcast. For sure. Uh, Yancey Burns, where can people find more of your work online? Um, Milky Way Blues at the blog spot. And uh, let me just apologize, guys, if I ever jumped in and, and stomped on uh, anyone's uh, conversation. I'm still relatively new to these things. Oh, you so. don't, don't worry. You're fine. <laughs> I, mean, I have seven I, written I, I, complaints. I'm sending to Aaron. <laughs> How dare you? I'm excited talking about movies, guys. It just come out of my show a little bit. So 
this is a a commentary track. It's about random discussion. Yeah, I was going to say, nobody's going to fault you for talking on a podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) These commentary tracks, you got to keep going. You can't have any pauses. And we didn't have any pauses. That's what we like. Um, You can find more of my work at thecodazeek.com. All my written movie reviews can be found there. You can obviously find all the other episodes about Now There and Abe over on iTunes as well as on Audioboom. We just had our 300th episode, which was super epic and all three of you guys along with at least 15 more guests were involved so it was a lot of fun to do please listen to that um our regular episodes of course are happening as well the next one following this well actually we're starting our horror podcast episodes our our horror specials coming soon but also blade runner 2049 is going to be episode 301 which seems quite fitting actually in its own way um so there's all that follow us on facebook twitter you know if we can find our podcast i thank everyone for you know listening in if you followed along with the movie or you just listened in while you're on your jog or whatever good job Brandon, Jim, Yancey, thank you all for joining me to discuss Blade Runner. Thanks for having me. Fun times. Yeah, that's going to do it for this commentary episode. Tune in next month for another horror-themed commentary episode. We, uh, I'll, I'll wait to announce it, but I, it, it's a, it's a, it will be a fun one for sure. Uh, it's yeah, a little one. It's a little one. <laughs> that joke makes sense now for us, so not what else. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's, episode, this week's commentary. So until next yeah. time, so long and goodbye.